get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I think our, our laundry list is actually relatively short. It's just it's pitching. It's starting pitching. Like, we need a couple starting pitchers. We've gone into other years where we need, we, we've had, you know, this year we had, we needed a catcher, it was obvious, right? And a starting pitcher. And we brought back Wayno and, and signed uh, and signed Wilson, right? And so I, I think, I don't think we have a longer list. I think it's just a more concentrated list. I think if instead of needing a couple starting pitchers, we needed one starting pitcher and a trim player of some sort, it would be a little bit more of a quote-unquote normal offseason. But our needs are all on the pitching side, and, and we'll uh, we'll attack those when we get to the offseason. That was Michael Gersh last August as he was talking to us here on BK and Ferrario about what the offseason looks like for the St. Louis Cardinals. He was pretty clear, hey, pitching, pitching, pitching. Mosellock said the same thing. Everybody was on the same idea. And Tanner, with the latest move by the Cardinals, it's hard to say, like, mission accomplished, but... You don't feel that way? I would say they they reached the bare minimum of what they had to do this offseason, which was adding a couple of high-leverage relievers, throw numbers at the back end of the bullpen, and add three legitimate starters. If that was the stated goal, they did accomplish said goal. I really like the move that they announced last night. Keenan Middleton is the newest St. Louis Cardinal, according to multiple reports across the industry. Now, the deal has not been finalized. There's still uh, some kind of a physical that needs to go through today, and the actual money has not yet been announced either. But the expectation is that Keenan Middleton will be added to the St. Louis Cardinals bullpen, and I love it. This is a guy with big-time velocity. This is a guy with big-time swing and miss stuff. Now, he is essentially going to be Hennessy Cabrera for you. He misses the strike zone a lot. He... Walks about 11% of the hitters that he faces. He's been on the injured list probably more often than you would like over the past few seasons. But when he is healthy and available and he's throwing strikes, he's about as good as you could possibly ask for at this point in the offseason. And if you had told me at the beginning of the offseason, BK, the Cardinals are going to add two leverage relievers. They will be Keenan Middleton and Andrew Kittridge. I would have told you at that point in time, T-Bone, Sign me up. I don't know what the rest of the offseason looks like. If I just like, let me get this and we'll see what the rotation looks like. I think I would have done it because these are two really good arms that if we didn't know what they had done in the the, the rotation side of things, I think all of us would be pretty thil- thrilled with what they did in the bullpen. Yeah, I, I really like what they've done with the bullpen this year because we talked about it last year. One problem that they had was they didn't have flexibility. They didn't have 
uh, that train or that uh, shuttle that can go from Memphis here to St. Louis. So they did that with a bunch of the smaller uh, the roster moves where they bring in a couple guys on minor league deals. And then they've added these guys to the back end of the pen in Kittridge and Middleton. And again, like we haven't seen the Middleton deal. I'm assuming this is a one-year deal, maybe two at at, at best for Ken- Kenyon Middleton. But I, I really like it because it is velocity. It is swing and miss. And his pitch profile is a little bit unconventional, I would say. Throwing change-ups a lot, sliders yep. a lot, and then also has the fastball to go with it, which is his third use, used pitch. So I like that it's also someone that's got a little bit different of an arsenal, going with a different idea. Same with Kittredge, same with compared to Helsley and Geo. And now you look at this bullpen, and Kittredge didn't have a 9-plus strikeout per 9, but he didn't pitch much. He had that in his All-Star season in 2021. But you look at Middleton, you look at Helsley, you look at Geo, and you look at JoJo Romero, all guys that will be in the mix for this back end of the bullpen. All those guys had 9-plus in strikeout per 9 last year, and Helsley was up near 11. So I like that they've added swing and miss. I like that they've added arms that have some proven experience that have had success. So I think the bullpen additions this offseason, though they're not big and sexy, I think they have been really good, and I think you're right. If it weren't for the rotation, I'd look at this offseason going, this is nice. This is really good. It is, and I I think because they don't have a lot of big names, people look at it, and the casual fan's probably underwhelmed because you look at the rotation, and you're like, okay, so they added Sonny Gray, which I like. Most casual fans, I would say, probably think of him more as a number two than a number one. Fair or otherwise, I think the the general consensus that I've come to on Sonny Gray. People are happy with the signing. They just wish it came with more. And then Kyle Gibson and Lance Lynn. I agree with this side of things. I think people say, okay, so you added a couple of innings eaters, but did you really get the quality that you needed at the front end of your rotation when those are the two additions with Sonny Gray? My my answer to that would be no. I don't think they accomplished that goal. But if you just wanted innings, sure, that, that is something that you were able to make work. Then you go to the bullpen side of things and what they ended up adding since the end of last season, I think is really interesting. And I think they went about it actually the exact correct way when it comes to constructing a modern bullpen. They added Kittridge and Middleton as leverage relievers. Those two guys should be throwing in the seventh, eighth or ninth inning for you this season. You mix them in with Giovanni Gallegos and Ryan Helsley and Jojo Romero. It's a pretty good group of five pitchers that you can throw in the back end of games. Middle innings, Ryan Fernandez is a guy that you got in a Rule 5 draft that might be able to play into like the fifth or sixth inning, mix and match with him. If it doesn't work, the cost was literally nothing. You caught him in the Rule 5 draft and you just select him and say, okay, we'll take him. And if he works out, he's on our 26-man roster. And if he doesn't, we'll give him back. That's it. It's it's that simple. Then you got some lottery ticket items this offseason. Nick Robertson, you traded Tyler O'Neill, who you had no use for at this point to the Boston Red Sox, and in return, you get a guy that might be a decent reliever. He might factor into the 6th, 7th inning mix. He might be in AAA this year. Who knows, but it's worth a flyer. Riley O'Brien, big-time swing and miss stuff. Big time. No clue if it's going to work at the big league level. If it doesn't work, whatever. You got him for nothing from Seattle. And then Josh James was the other guy that they signed. Some reasons for optimism there. Again, swing and miss stuff is there to a degree. If it doesn't work, whatever. It's a flyer, no harm, no foul. This is the way to go about it. What I've had an issue with in the past from the Cardinals is they like go swing big for one reliever and then just like kind of say, okay, we're good from there and rely on internal options, hoping that the guys that they currently have in the system will just work out. Man, add, add from the outside. That is not a bad thing to do. And don't go spend big on relievers. 
they they finally learned their lessons and I think they learned the right ones in the bullpen even if I disagree with some of what they did when it comes to their rotation. Yeah, I'm with you because I, I I like the idea of taking flyers on guys as like you mentioned some of those guys that they've brought in on kind of like minor league deals or the rule five draft and just see if it works because if it doesn't it's easy to move on from and it's a guy that has like an upside of swing and miss like you look at like what they had last year on the 40 man and it was like James Nail it was like what yeah. what was the upside in James Nail like he didn't have swing and miss was a pitch to contact pitcher you don't need like, a bunch of sinker ballers anymore you got one on the roster really and that's in John King and that's Honestly, all you probably need. The rest is just go for high velo, high swing and miss. See if it works. Take a shot in the dark. And look, maybe none of those minor league deals end up panning out. But you continue to add and continue to operate like that throughout the season. I brought this up uh, when you were out on, I think it was Monday, where I said, hey, uh, there was a, I can't remember his name. There's a guy from the Arizona Diamondbacks that pitched really well in the World Series. You know how they got him? They got him on the waiver wire. So some of these small moves, they aren't big, they aren't sexy, but they do matter. And if you hit on one of them, that is huge for a bullpen because we've seen how hard and how volatile bullpens are. I, I, I agree with you. I like the way they've gone about it this offseason. So remember when the Cardinals went through the regular season a few years ago and who was it? Luis, uh, the reliever that they ended up getting that ended up being a big time reliever, went to the Padres. What am I? Oh, Luis Garcia. Luis Garcia. They got him for nothing. They just, like, signed him off the scrap heap, and in the middle of the year, it worked out. But he had some underlying stuff that in his past, you looked at his history, and you're like, okay, there might be something here. He throws really hard, big-time reliever. It just hasn't worked for whatever reason. And with relievers, sometimes for whatever reason, it just comes together. In one season, there's a pitch that you tinker with a little bit. You change the usage or the selection, and... It, suddenly they go from the first base side to the third base side, and now they're throwing strikes more often. And s- instead of striking out 20% of the batters they face, it's 30%. And instead of having a five ERA, it's a three ERA. It's that simple sometimes. And if the Cardinals are able to go in there, fiddle some knobs and find the right usage for some of these pitchers, you're going to come away thinking to yourself, man, they did the right thing this offseason with the bullpen. But that's not the only thing we're grading them on. So, T-Bone, when you look at their offseason and you take into account what they did with the rotation, what they did with the bullpen, the moves they decided not to make with their position player core, what grade would you give the Cardinals right now? Because I think it's probably the end of the offseason at this point now that you've added another leverage reliever. I I would go B-. minus. I think when you look at the bullpen, though I do like the moves, there was nobody that was brought in that has like a long period of sustained success. So I kind of knocked them a little bit for that. Again, I I don't mind the moves, but where I knocked them is the rotation. Yeah, they got the one, and we said they needed three stars. But when we said what is on their need list this offseason, we said they need a one and a two to slot ahead of Miles Michaelis. They didn't get the two, and then instead they settled for – fours and fives and Gibson and Lynn. So they did like the bare minimum, in my opinion, to kind of improve the starting rotation. So I would say it's a B minus for the St. Louis Cardinals. I would say C plus. Uh, I'll go a little. I've been thinking about this all night because I my immediate response was where you're at, T-Bone, which is, man, it's hard to not give them at least a B minus. They they pretty much accomplished the goals in the bullpen. And while I think it's underwhelming what they did in the rotation, really, we're just They're missing that one starter that would pair with Sonny Gray to lead this rotation. But that's a big omission, man. That's like going to a movie, getting a great leading lead role, having the perfect director. The script is well written, like everything is in place. And then you're like, oh, yeah, we we actually needed like a number two to our lead. We needed a supporting actor. And we just never found the right person for that role. 
So we're going to get somebody from the audience to play in that role. Oh. It's like, no, that's, that's not what you do here. Like, this is oh, a big-time production that we're trying to put in, and suddenly T-Bone is your supporting actor. Like, that. maybe it'll work out, but the odds are not in, in his favor. That's how I feel right now about the Cardinals. And they had every reason to be aggressive. The division stinks. The National League at the top is becoming better and better by the day. And you had a 90 loss season for the first time in 15 years. You had your worst year by winning percentage in 30 seasons. So your aggressiveness should have been there. And so while I think that the actual offseason itself is worthy of a B minus, given the context of everything, I think I got to knock them a little bit more because they missed on what is like one of the headliners of their offseason. I say C plus, maybe even a C. It's passable. They got a passable grade because they technically checked every box that was available to them, but they literally did nothing more than what was necessary going into this upcoming season. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're going to dive into some NFL quick hitters, including the biggest news when it comes to some of uh, the coaching moves that have taken place over the last 24 hours or so. Uh, A former name that was a head coach in the NFL is now an offensive coordinator in the NFL, and me and T-Bone are skeptical on if this one is going to work out. We'll get to that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. You guys can get your questions in on the Air Comfort Service text line at 314-399-9 Six four six. That is coming up at eleven forty-five. We'll have ask us anything. And Kylie McDaniel, our friend from ESPN.com, he's a baseball insider. We'll get his thoughts on what he thinks of the Cardinals' offseason coming up in the twelve o'clock hour. But coming up next, huge trade in Major League Baseball last night. I thought it signaled two things: one, the division is there for the taking for the Cardinals, and two. Man, the price for these starters is not as high as what I anticipated it to be. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This trade from Milwaukee's perspective, is about how good they believe D.L. Hall can be for a long period of time. And if they're right, they did just fine tonight, even though they traded away someone who has won a Cy Young Award. I don't know if I agree with J.P. Morosi of MLB Network about what the Brewers got back in return for. One of the best pitchers in all of Major League Baseball. I, I think this could go down as a failure by them to not get enough and to remove any kind of leverage that they had as they get closer to the trade deadline. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Jordan Deacon running the board for us today if you guys want to get involved. Involved in the show, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to do so. So last night, the big news is that Corbin Burns, the Brewers' number one starter, has been traded to the Baltimore Orioles. First of all, credit to the Orioles. They finally did something in the offseason right after the ownership yeah, changes. What a time to be alive as an Orioles fan. Who could have seen that one coming? Maybe it was ownership that was a problem all along. That's quite the surprise. So the Brewers sent him to Baltimore, and in return, They get a fringe top 100 prospect in D.L. Hall. He is a guy that was in the bullpen last year for the Baltimore Orioles, and he has big-time velocity, misses the strike zone a lot, though. Uh, There's mixed reviews on whether or not his future is in the bullpen or the rotation. 
The Brewers apparently believe that he's going to be a starter. We'll see. They also got another fringe top 100 prospect. That is a second base shortstop, middle infield type, better defensively than he is offensively, more toolsy right now than he is as a like pure hitter. So in return, they got two fringe top 100 prospects and then a comp pick for next year, which is the same as they would have received if they had allowed him to walk via free agency. So it's really about the two prospects. They're betting big on those two guys and not like some bigger, uh, more vast package. Timon, I I think the Brewers just signaled everything you needed to learn. Like they're they're in a rebuild. That's what this is now. They don't have Woodruff. They don't have Burns. They are moving forward, and this is a youth movement in Milwaukee. I would assume at this point that Adamus will be traded at some point. I would not be surprised to see Williams traded either now or at the trade deadline. The Brewers are not somebody that you have to take seriously as a legitimate threat in the NL Central in 2024 based on this deal. Yeah, this deal basically put any hope that they had about being a contender in the NL Central to bed because even if they are going to say publicly, hey, we are a team that we still believe can't contend in the NL Central. Man, they got some pieces offensively, like you mentioned, uh, Willie Adamas, but they're better off trading him now. Same with their closer and Devin Williams, because listen to this rotation. Freddie Peralta, Wade Miley, Colin Ray, Joe Ross, D.L. Hall. That, like, Peralta's good, but he's, like, good as a number three starter the way they had him in recent years. So, yeah, I think you're right. This signals that they're going into a rebuild or a retool, whatever you want to call it. I, I think that you can write them off as a contender in the NL Central. An Adamas deal should be coming, I would expect, if it doesn't happen in the next week or so at the trade deadline. Devin Williams, probably the same thing. I, I was a little surprised that you mentioned this. I was a little surprised that they tried, they did this move now rather than waiting to the deadline, but I can understand where they had the thought process of let's not wait just in case he does get hurt. Sure, and that's always a risk. Yeah, and I think that's probably why they pulled off this deal, but this is clearly a signal that, you know what, Milwaukee's ready to retool, and it is interesting coming off like the signing of Reese Hoskins to where it was, all right, we're going to go sign him to be our first baseman. So I was like, oh, okay, they're willing to at least say all in for one more year. And now they've already pulled the plug on that. So their messaging has been mixed, but I think you're right. It's a retool. I think the messaging is, hey, if we can get a guy that we can trade at the deadline, go ahead. Like that. That's what the Royals have been doing for years. The Pirates just did that. They just signed Aroldis Chapman. Guess who's not going to be a Pirate in August? Like yeah. Aroldis Chapman. He's going to be traded at the deadline. They are essentially paying $10 million for a prospect. That's what the Pirates did there. I think that uh, if you're the Brewers, you're spending right now, and your hope is at the deadline, hey, we can flip this guy. Somebody's going to be in need of Reese Hoskins to either be a first baseman or a DH type for them, and they'll flip us a prospect for him at the deadline, and we'll pay, whatever, $10 bucks for a prospect. So it, I, I don't think that's a, a bad move for them. It's just one that kind of threw us off of the scent of what was ultimately going to come. It's also possible, hey, at that point in time, the talks were dead. And then suddenly new ownership came in with Baltimore and that revamped things with these trade negotiations. And so they pivoted and said, hey, we like this deal. We don't know if it's going to be there for us once we get to the deadline. Let's go ahead and take it now as opposed to continuing to wait. I still think it feels light. I still think the the return for a guy as good as Corbin Burns should be better than this. And it makes me wonder, man, as we look to the trade market, are, are the Cardinals really completely out like if this is what it's going to take and for Robbie Ray it was a salary dump for Chris Sale it was sending a guy that Atlanta had no real place for anymore like it was basically Thomas Sejaci that equivalent for the Braves 
to go and get Chris Sale, who they ended up being able to extend. Is this really what it's going to take to be able to go out there and get a starter? And if it is, like, man, I I would still love to see the Cardinals get a little more aggressive to see, okay, wh- what is out there? Shake some trees and trees and see what kind of falls from them before we get into the spring training side of things. Yeah, I, I don't know what what move there'd be out there now outside of maybe Shane Bieber. Because, like, I, I think as much as, like, we can be critical of the Brewers and the return that they got, I think this tells you what the price is for, like, a rental. No, no, there was no bidding war here in the offseason. Like you said, I think the trade talks may have died. Baltimore then with new ownership comes in and reignites the flame. But I, I think you're seeing, like, hey, it doesn't cost a lot to go get a rental unless it's at the trade deadline. The trade deadline is a different story. So, like, the only guy that I think may still be out there would be Shane Bieber. But I don't know how much interest I have in Shane Bieber. I I don't think he's a number one anymore. And his peripherals have been screaming, hey, this, is, this isn't this is going to sustain. So I, I think you still continue to explore the Dylan Cease talks, but it sounds like they're still holding their price tag high like they should because they've got control. Sure. I, I'd love to see the Cardinals go out and continue shopping and try and find a way to get a number one starter still, or a number two starter, excuse me. Whether that be free agency, which I don't think is going to happen, or that be via the trade route, but I, I'm with you. I, I would still be exploring things because I, I think all the talk about Dylan Cease and how they're holding their price tag high, that that's going to fall as well because I, I think they're going to come to at some point and go, you know what, we're not going to get two top 100 prospects that we're looking for. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line. I asked this on Twitter. I'm curious where our uh, text line would fall on it as well. If you had an off-season do-over and you could force the hand of the opposing team to accept your deal instead of the ones one that they got or force the hand of the free agent to accept your deal and just replace it with the one that they got, which of the following starting pitchers would you want the Cardinals to add? So let's remove whoever you prefer between Gibson and, and Lynn. One of them is no longer a part of the Cardinals offseason plan. This would replace that move. Would you trade for Robbie Ray? That would be roughly the equivalent of like, you're trading Steven Matz and one other guy from your roster. I don't know who specifically they would go with. It was it was really a salary dump in that situation. So let's say it's Steven Matz plus something that you don't care about that much. Trade for Chris Sale, probably trading Thomas to JC in that move. Signing Eduardo Rodriguez to a four-year deal worth $80 million or signing Michael Walker to a two-year deal worth $32 million. By the way, the reason why I didn't include Aaron Nola, he was never leaving Philadelphia. The reason why I didn't include Yamamoto, the Cardinals were never spending that money, and I think he was only going to the Dodgers. The reason why I didn't include uh, Shota Imanaga, he was very clearly honed in on going to the Chicago Cubs. So I wanted to make it realistic. Robbie Ray, Chris Sale, Eduardo Rodriguez, Michael Walker, those were probably the best starting pitching options that were available to the Cardinals that they did not sign. Out of those four who would you have wanted the Cardinals to add as that number two starter, T-Bone? So I, I've gone between Rodriguez and Ray, and I think I would have gone down the Robbie Ray path because it would have been a salary dump, at, as as you mentioned. You could then, in this theory, when we're sending Matt's away, if you wanted to, you could then also bring, I mean, I know we said we're plucking one of Gibson or Lynn out. If you wanted to, you could still go sign one of them in this case because you just dumped Steven Matz's contract, or you just run it back with Zach Thompson as the five, which I, I don't think would have been the worst thing in the world, but you now have the upside in it too. And I know he's not available until like July potentially, but he's coming off of Tommy John surgery, which for the most part, those guys nowadays recover from very well. In fact, sometimes they throw harder. Yep. And the two years prior to last year when he got hurt to have Tommy John surgery, 32 starts, 32 starts, and was really good and had legitimate swing and miss stuff and pitched like a top-end starter. So 
I think I would have gone down the Robbie Ray path, find a way to dump match contract. I, I'm with you. I don't really know what the second piece would have been, but figure a way to make it work out and bring him in, and then he's the number one or number two with Sonny Gray. I would have gone Chris Sale. I said it at the time that when when that sale when that Chris Sale deal was announced, I immediately thought to myself, this is the kind of move that the Cardinals should have made this offseason. Because he has all of the upside that we're talking about with very little downside given the cost of at the time it was basically nothing money wise. Now it is like thirty nine million dollars over the next two years. That's fine. That is more than reasonable for a guy of his caliber. That is basically the um, Michael Walker deal. Like money wise, it would be pretty similar to what you would have had to spend to go out there and acquire Michael Walker. I, I would have been more than happy to do that. And I'm giving up Thomas to JC, who, yeah, might be good in the future, might end up becoming a really nice piece for the Cardinals. But right now, there's no role for him on this team. He doesn't have value to the Cardinals in 2024, and you're missing somebody with the upside of Chris Sale. Chris Sale could come in this year and have a 3-2 ERA with 11 strikeouts per nine innings. Like He could become one of the best number two starters in the league. That shouldn't surprise anybody. There are real injury questions there, no doubt about it. But that's okay for a team like the Cardinals. You can deal with the injury questions. You need upside right now in your rotation. I I would have made that move 100 times out of 100. And that, that to me, is the one that I think they missed on. I also would have done the Robbie Ray deal, but it's a little bit more complicated in the way that you would maneuver it. Um, and I, I don't know that I would have signed Eduardo Rodriguez. $80 million for him, like... He's fine. He's nice. But would I have wanted that on the books beyond the 2024 season? Probably not. I think eventually you'd look at that as a mistake. Waka I would have been fine with, but I don't think he has the upside that we're looking for from a number two starter. So I think by the deadline, you'd probably still be looking for somebody to be in that spot. And really, what did you accomplish in that scenario then? So I think it really came down to Chris Sale or Robbie Ray as the, the, the only two options that the Cardinals had to be able to get the starter that we're talking about with that number two guy other than right now going to the market. Yeah. And the real option is go sign Blake Snow. That, that's the and guy that the Cardinals, like, if I was in charge right now, I would just go make that move. Like, it's a lot of money. It's going to hurt probably on the back end. But he is your best option to fix the hole that you currently have. Yeah, and, and to your point on Snell, like, I, man, we're getting close to spring training. At some point, he's going to have to admit, like, his market's not there. I'd be willing to give him like a say a three year deal that has a high AAV with an opt out after year one. I, that's what I'd be willing to do right now for Blake Snell. But I think you're right with Rodriguez because the more I like looked into his numbers, I was like, man, in theory that was like, man, look at that signing by the Diamondbacks. If it's perfect because he's a perfect number three, and what were yeah. they missing? A perfect number three. Cardinals are missing a clear cut number two slash one, whatever you want to call Sonny Gray. Whichever one you say he is, that's the other one is what the Cardinals are missing. If one of these two is willing to accept a one-year deal worth $30 million and you got the okay from ownership, they won't, but let's just operate under this assumption, right? Open up the wallet. Would you rather have Jordan Montgomery or Blake Snell? Blake Snell. It's not even close for me. It'd be Blake Snell. I I think Monty's more of a three. I I think he's like in the Eduardo Rodriguez range. I think that's how he's viewed across the industry. If it was Montgomery's willing to accept a one-year $30 million deal and Blake Snell's willing to accept a three-year deal, 80 million dollar deal i'd still go snell I, I think he's got legitimate swing like one of some of the best stuff in baseball even though he doesn't know where it's going I, i'd sign up for that in a heartbeat yeah i i wish the cardinals would do it i what we've seen this offseason is that they just they made a lot of good moves i believe on the bullpen side of things not really necessarily too creative though and on the starting pitching side of things they did exactly what if you were a skeptical card like 
Alex Ferrario basically nailed the Cardinals offseason when it came to uh, the rotation. It was all of the things that you would typically expect them to do. It was the very Cardinals-y offseason, and I wish they would have gotten away from that a little bit. That being said, I think our poll and this question is a reminder there just weren't a ton of options for them to go get that number two starter that we've been shouting about. It it really did come down to like, if you don't like Chris Sale or Robbie Ray, and you don't think Eduardo Rodriguez is good enough to be that number two starter, you probably didn't think that the Cardinals had an opportunity to go get the starter that we've all been screaming for them to do, unless you want them to go get Montgomery or Sale, both of which are just, we haven't seen what it would cost to do that yet. So it's it's hard to criticize them for a move that nobody has made just yet. All right, coming up next, NFL Quick Hitters here on 101 ESPN. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters here on BK and Ferrario alongside Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So the big news yesterday, we're starting to fill out some of these coaching staffs. Now we've got all the head coaches hired and it's about, okay, who's going to be the OC? Who's going to be the DC? What are we going to do with the staffs? Cliff Kingsbury oh, back boy. in the NFL, ladies and gentlemen, he spent last year hanging out at USC. He was the like de facto OC with Caleb Williams as his as his quarterback. You got Lincoln Riley as the head coach. Cliff Kingsbury, though, back in the NFL. He's going to be the Raiders offensive coordinator this upcoming season. T-Bone, what do you think of the hire? I'm not a fan, uh, if I'm being honest. I I don't think Kingsbury is a very good NFL offensive mind. I, I think he is best suited for the college game. So I, I I don't really get the hire, especially because like it's not like Las Vegas is picking super high in the draft. Like if they had like Washington spot or New England spot, I could see how maybe you convince yourself of, hey, we're bringing in a young college quarterback. Let's pair him with a young, more college offensive mind in Kingsbury. Kind of the thought process that Arizona had with Kyler Murray. I I, I don't know that they're going to do that though, based on their draft position. Like I don't think they're going to be able to trade up. Maybe somebody falls into their lap where they're drafting. I think it's more likely that they're going to go with like a stopgap quarterback, like a Russell Wilson or someone like that. And if that's the case, like I'm not sure Kingsbury's the guy for them. So I, I'm not a fan of this offensive coordinator hired by Las Vegas. I don't love it either. They're 13th in this year's upcoming draft. That's where they're picking right now. They also have the 44th overall selection. It's going to be hard for them to be able to move up to get like one of the top quarterbacks in this year's class. I mean, if you're talking about one of the top three guys, 
Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels are the top three right now. I think they're very likely to go one, two, three. We know how this ends up, man. Like every year we talk about, oh, who's going to fall? What's? It's really the fourth guy that ends up being the one that quote unquote falls before we get to something like that. So yeah, if you wanted to get like Bo Nix, if you wanted to get Michael Penix, you could probably get one of those two there. But I don't know that that's the route that you want to go if you're Las Vegas. They probably end up with a veteran. Like This is probably the spot where you see a Russell Wilson or something like that. And that's... Not particularly exciting if I'm a Raiders fan where I'm saying, okay, so Russell Wilson and Cliff Kingsbury and Antonio Pierce, that's my future. It's it's just not inspiring to me, at least. Um, I I think they've kind of fallen flat going into this offseason. Next thing up as we go with some NFL quick hitters here on BK and Ferrario, Rick Gosling had this stat earlier today on Twitter. Since 2020 T-Bone, four football seasons, There have been 35 NFL head coaching hires, 35 of the 32 NFL teams, 24, three quarters of the league have changed coaches over this stretch of time. Carolina and Houston made three different hires since the 2020 season. Seven other teams have made multiple hires. Are teams becoming too impatient in your mind with their head coaches? Uh, see, I I would say no, because I think a lot of some of those firings, just thinking back in my mind of what we have seen, I, I think a lot of them you could like tell like, man, there wasn't a lot of upside in the hire originally. Like I think back to like Vic Fangio in Denver. I, I don't think there was much upside in that hire with Vic Fangio. And when it started to go south, you basically move on and you hope that you find the next hot commodity that's going to stick around for a while. So I, I don't think they're getting too impatient. I, I don't think that's a problem. I think it kind of shows that there's a a lackluster crop of head coaching candidates and that you just kind of continue to cycle through until you finally hit on the right guy. Because most of these situations, I I don't know if I can remember a coach that got fired recently that I'm like, Oh, that might be a mistake. If you get what I'm saying, like for the most part, I think I've been like, okay, that was clearly a disaster or yeah, there wasn't a lot of upside to begin with. That's where I'm at. I, I understand these numbers are jarring. And it's like, oh, so the NFL has become the NHL where every coach is fired and then you just recycle the same hires. I think we're seeing a turning over of coaching in the NFL where there are fewer guys that are getting that second, third, fourth chance than there previously were in the league. I think it's becoming more of a young guy coaching league. Like you're you're starting to see Mike McDonald getting opportunities. You see Ben Johnson is one of the hot names that's going to eventually get one of these jobs. Uh, Bobby Slowick, the offensive coordinator down in Houston next offseason. I bet you he's going to get one of the jobs. There's a reason Bill Belichick did not get a job in this cycle. And it's because teams are looking for the next big-time hot coaching candidate. I would have hired Belichick. I lean more on experience, though, clearly, than what these teams are. They're looking for something different. They want to find the next Sean McVay, the next Kyle Shanahan, the next um, young, hot-shot coach that's going to change their franchise for 15 years, not just the next two or three. So I, I think teams are actually going about this the right way. They are treating coaches the same way they're treating quarterbacks. We should know pretty early on if this is going to work or not. And if we don't know by year two or three, we're going to go ahead and make a change because that means that the likelihood is this is not going to work out for us. All right, final thing as we go through some NFL quick hitters here on BK and Ferrario. T-Bone, Pro Football Talk put this out earlier today. According to a report from the Washington Post, the NFL will once again consider changing its kickoff rules this offseason to what the XFL used in their previous seasons where both teams, the offense, quote-unquote, and the defense kicking team and the kick return team have to be within five yards of the ball. 
it's worked out really well in the XFL. It's limited injuries. It's made for, honestly, more compelling kickoff returns. Yeah. Is this something that you believe the NFL will eventually go to and should eventually go to? Uh, yes, I, I think they will. I, I don't know if they'll do it this year or not. At some point, I think they have to because w- watching a kickoff now is just pointless. Nothing more exciting than red zone fires up and I see eight touchbacks. Like, boring. Uh, I, I think they've got to move to this rule. I actually love that XFL rule. Um, I, I think you're right. Brings more excitement, limits injuries. So I, I, I hope they go to this. And honestly, I've even I pushed back on this, I think, last year or two years ago when we talked about it. I hope they move to what the XFL does for onside kicks, where it's like a, what is it, fourth and 15? I'm That's ready to get rid of the onside kick. So I would implement both of those from the NFL. Yeah, think about if like the the Ravens or the Lions had an opportunity to go for it on a fourth and 15 in the games this yeah. past weekend. That would have made the games more exciting. Now, you can decide if you think that's fair. I think it rewards teams for having good offenses as opposed to having a kicker that gets a really lucky bounce on an onside kick. And I, th- I think that's more deserving. Like Teams are spending out of their entire salary cap, like 95% is spent on offense and defense. Why don't we have those units on the field to determine the game late as opposed to the third safety, the kicker, and the fullback that are all trying to like pound their heads against one another to find out who can go get the football. Like I, I just think it makes more sense for us to have that fourth and 15 opportunity. And the odds of converting on that are like, I think it's like 12 to 15%. So it's still incredibly slim, but if you have Patrick Mahomes, you have Josh Allen, your odds are better than if you have, you know, one of the other guys at quarterback in the NFL coming up next. Let's get into a game of ask us anything. Three, one, four, three, nine, 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 six, four, six is the air comfort service text line. If you guys have any questions, sports or otherwise, we'll get into that with ask us anything coming up next year on one one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs tire and auto centers on one Oh one ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 3143999646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything. If you guys have any questions, sports or otherwise, get them in now on the Air Comfort Service text line. This one comes from the 585. BK, do you truly believe that the NFL would have let Casey lose while Taylor Swift's money is coming in? You know they're corrupt and did everything to make sure that the Chiefs were going to win. Do people believe this? Well, in fact, we got a text about it. Yes. Maybe they're right, you know. Never know. No, they're not. <laughs> like, the Chiefs had a a literal touchdown taken off of the board because of a phantom holding call in that game. And we think that they're fixing it for the Chiefs. Oh, here we go. On back-to-back plays, they called fake holding calls on the Chiefs. And that's the team that's getting it fixed. If they are fixing it for the Chiefs, they're doing a really bad job of it. Like, an incredibly bad job of fixing this thing for them. The I, I don't know what the scripts had for that first round playoff matchup where the Chiefs were playing against the Dolphins, but like negative five degree temperatures also probably not a great thing because that throws in a lot of variance into the postseason. Um, going on the road in Buffalo where it was snowing, not sure that was the right way to go about this, but man, they, they had quite the script if this was all scripted. 
Yeah, you're right. I, I, now, you make good points where I'm not sure they're scripting it for the Chiefs. It tur- yeah. M- if they are, not. they are really bad at it because uh, you're right. Those were not holding calls in that game. All right. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line for Ask Us Anything from the 314. Guys, what kind of appetizers are you going for during the Super Bowl? Oh, That's a good question. That's I don't know if I, I haven't really decided yet this year. Last year, I made a... Uh, beer cheese dip with like little pretzel bites. That was pretty good. I don't know what I'm going to do this year. I'm, I haven't quite decided. I think I'm going to go wings for dinner, but I don't know if I'm going with an appetizer. Buffalo chicken dips a go to. Um, choice. The little smokies are always good on a, a Super Bowl Sunday. Spinach and artichoke dip is always good. Uh, Dips are always good, man. Uh, chips and salsa, and classic. Um, I mean, I'll do a little bit of anything. You, you put something out, I'll give it a try. Jordan, are you a are you an appetizer person for Super Bowl Sunday? Um, I'm probably the most picky person you will ever meet good, in good. your entire life. So I don't do dip. I don't. <laughs> okay. When you said appetizer, I thought toasted wraps, though. So. Okay, that's a good one. Yes, one. but I I don't Stick use that local. sauce. That's a no for me. Marinara? No. That, that sauce? Yes, that I don't do. I'm a texture person, and that's a no for me. Really? Yeah. How far? How far do we go on this? Like. It could be like a whole show, honestly, about how really? picky I am. It's really sad. Like, what are the go-tos for you? Is it like basically brown food? Like, no, no colors of the spectrum. Um, not so much colors. It's more about like the texture. So, like, I don't like very like saucy things. Like, my pizza has light sauce. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Is cheese okay? Yes, cheese is good, but the sauce is like it's just too much for me. Like, do you when you get like chicken nuggets? Are you dipping into a sauce? Nothing. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Not even wow. salt and pepper. Not wow. e- No, I am like the pickiest person you will ever meet, so I promise. So like grilled chicken, is it just a piece of grilled chicken? Correct. No salt, no pepper, no seasoning? Correct. Just- and actually, if I have to order really? it as a sandwich, I take it off the bun and just eat the chicken. Really? Yep. Wow. Cheese on, on the chicken? Oh, no, no. <laughs> just the chicken. <laughs> That's amazing. I've never heard anything like this. I'm, I'm telling you, it's it's a lot. Okay. All right, that, it's tough, but anyway, everything everybody's got their thing. All right, three one four three nine 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 six two nine six four six is the Air Comfort Service X line for Ask Us Anything uh, from the three one four guys. What's your go to barbecue dish? If you're going to a barbecue spot, <laughs> Jordan immediately says, "I'm I don't go get barbecue." Uh, what's your go to order? Are you getting Are you getting the ribs, brisket, burn ins? Chicken, pork, turkey. Yeah, I'm just going pulled pork. That's what I'm going. That's your with. go-to. That's my go-to. I've never really tried burnt ends. I, I, I should do that though. I, every time I see people make it, I go, man, that looks really good. But I've never tried it anywhere I've gone. I would go pulled pork, ribs, pulled chicken would be like my top three. Uh, ribs would be a go-to. I get brisket at a lot of places. I typically go and like find out what they're known for. What, what is your specialty? If your specialty is pulled pork, I would like to try the pulled pork. Like. If I'm going to a place, for example, Salt and Smoke, known for their sides as much as they are anything else, right? I'm going to get the Cracker Mac. If I'm going to a place that is known for their Cracker Mac and cheese, I'm going to get, you're, you're immediately shaking. You, you won't eat Cracker Mac? Mac and cheese? What is Cracker Mac? It's macaroni and cheese with crackers in it. Oh, um, I 
try okay, it. And that's a step. I, I'm like, <laughs> as I became an adult, I do not try things once it's my option. It's that would be a go to for me. So I it really is coming down to like what their what their specialty is. That that would be the, the number one way that I go about it. All right, coming up in about fifteen minutes or so. What do the Cardinals do this year if Nolan Gorman has a slump in I don't know, April, the way that he did last June? We'll talk about that coming up here in just a little bit. Coming up next though, Kylie McDaniel is an ESPN MLB insider. He had his piece earlier today on the top farm systems in all of Major League Baseball. Had some interesting notes about two of the Cardinals pitchers that are in the system. We'll talk about it with him next year on 101 ESPN. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, let's go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by Kylie McDaniel. He's the ESPN Major League Baseball insider, joins us regularly here on the show. He also writes about prospects over on ESPN.com. We'll get to his farm system rankings here in just a little bit. But Kylie, where I want to begin is the big news that we saw last night in Major League Baseball with Baltimore uh, trading for Corbin Burns, get one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball in an expiring deal, and in return, the Milwaukee Brewers got a couple of fringe top 100 prospects and a comp pick. What did you make of the deal? What did you think of the return for Milwaukee? Uh, I think it was the kind of deal that they needed to make. Uh, I actually had written the blurb for the farm rankings that went up today. I'd written it two days ago, and I basically said they traded Hayter, they lost Brandon Woodruff, and then they have Burns and Adamas that are contracts are ending this year. They're not the kind of team that's going to extend probably one, but definitely not both of those guys. And they had Devin Williams coming up the next year. So it's basically like they're going to keep zero or one of these guys and they need to rely on that next wave of talent if they're going to continue their payroll where it is, which seems like they will. Um, so they needed to turn Burns into something and God forbid he gets hurt during the season. You can't rely on like a bidding war that'll get you more at the deadline. And if you're, you know, in, uh, in contention, maybe you hold on to him. Like you just needed to rip off the bandaid and kind of get moving. And the other thing that was in that blurb from farm rankings today is if you look at the guys that, uh, graduated from their system last year, all the way down to the guys that will start in high a this year. So all the guys that could debut 23, 24 and 25, they have 18 guys that I think could be everyday or better players. So they're going to replace those half dozen guys that were the basis of this last team with three times as many guys as they need to replace them. You'd think there's going to be six standout guys from that group, given the way that they can develop talent. Kylie Carl's made a move themselves yesterday as they signed Keenan Middleton, according to reports to a deal. If this is the final move of the Cardinals offseason, what do you make of their offseason this year? Uh, I think they did what they needed to do. I think you can count on some bounce backs and, you know, some health 
things like that to kind of go in the right direction. I think they're right there in the conversation. I don't think they're on the same level as, you know, the Braves, the Dodgers, probably behind the Phillies. And then I think they're right there in that next group, including the Diamondbacks. And obviously with the Diamondbacks, it's a good example of like, you can make a World Series if you start the season in that area, you know, have some good luck, get into the tournament and kind of get hot at the right time. And I know it's not necessarily what Cardinals fans want to hear. I think they like to hear like we're the heavy, overwhelming favorite. Uh, But having the Brewers probably out of the mix this year, the Pirates are probably still out of the mix. The Cubs have not pushed all their chips in yet. Like this seems like a good year to be bouncing back and kind of having the pieces in place, having the veterans, having the young players, having a good mix of guys. Uh, I think this is kind of shaping up as a, as a good season for the Cardinals, and don't save that tape in case it doesn't happen. Can you win a World Series if Miles Michaelis is your number two starter, Kylie? I mean, that was, I'm pretty sure I've said it on the show multiple times that I was like, the problem is they don't have an ace, and I'm not sure there's like an ace or even a frontline guy in the system. I don't think they're going to pay $180 million to get Aaron Nola, but if I were them, I would. How are they going to fix this? And the idea would be, you know, in basketball, you have to have a one and probably a two to really make a run. And, you know, in football, you have to have a quarterback that's at least pretty good or else the best team outside of the quarterback. And in baseball, like, I guess you can win without having an ace and like a dominant closer. But like, I wouldn't want to be the team betting that's going to happen because like there's teams like the Dodgers and Braves that start the season with a really good rotation. Then they get to the playoffs and it's not very good anymore. And so the Cardinals are starting with a, you know, middle of the road, like good veteran rotation. I think everyone is over 32. Uh, and I don't think, like you said, I think it's more depth starters that will be coming up this year. Um, so I kind of worry that that has been the weakness for the last couple of years, and they addressed it in sort of the the lowest possible way, just getting veterans that can fill those holes and hoping Sonny Gray can stay together this year. And, you know, as you can tell, like, I'm not super optimistic about that, but it's not like they can't all throw 175 innings of, you know, three and a half to four ERA ball and then win a couple playoff games. Like, I'm not going to rule it out, but, like, that's what I would worry about. Yeah, it's it's been our concern for the last four months because they got so, so much of this done early on in the offseason that we, we – we're just left to stew on the fact that they weren't going to get that number two starter. And so as I look back at the off season and what's taken place, Kylie, I, I don't think they were ever going to get Yamamoto. They weren't going to pay that kind of money. And I, I don't think he was ever going to come here. Shota Imanaga wasn't an option. He appeared to have always been kind of set on Chicago. Aaron Nola was apparently never leaving Philadelphia. So you look at the actual options that were out there and it's like, Okay, so you could have had Eduardo Rodriguez. I don't know that that necessarily fixes your problem. Michael Walk, I don't think fixes your problem. And so really it was like, do you want to trade for Robbie Ray or Chris Sale? And that was kind of the only way that they could have fixed what they lacked at the front end of their rotation. Do you think they should have been more involved in one of those trade negotiations? Yeah, I mean, you could have said Glasnow, Burns, whenever the price comes down on Cease. Like there are ways because that like they have essentially too many young uh, position players. Like just trading Tyler O'Neill did not clear that out. That sort of suggests to me that they'd rather be over invested in young position players, or they haven't figured out who the keepers are and who the non keepers are. So they're going to let them all play and kind of see what happens. Theme um, of the last but, I mean, you've years. got <laughs> yeah, but you've got like Victor Scott and Sagisi and uh, and Chase Davis and Mason Wynn and Nolan Gorman and Britt. Like you have an entire lineup worth of guys that are like under twenty five that either are in the big leagues or will be in the next year or two. So you don't have to have all of those other guys. And so there would be a line of thinking. You should go to Seattle or go to Tampa Bay or go to Cleveland or these places that are, um, you know, they're creating these players that you need. Like there is a way to get a frontline guy. It's just going to be something like that Burns trade where you would trade, say, Sagisi and Roby uh, to get one year of Burns, probably not extend them or have them go hit the market and see what happens. And that's what you would do if you really, really wanted to win this year, which is what the Yankees are doing. Like Brian Cashman has to win this year. If he wins 80 games, he'll probably get fired. And so he's acting like that. 
And the Cardinals and most of the other teams in baseball are like, well, we don't want to spend this much, or we don't want to win that bad, or we need to think about the three- to five-year plan. Like, how could this be sustainable? And so it's like they wouldn't say they don't want to win, but that's obviously not the number one priority is winning the most games they can this year. And, Kylie, I feel like a big reason for that is they, to me, this has felt almost like a transition year for the Cardinals where, yeah, they're going to be competitive and they can do that in this division, but they want to wait on their starters to develop in their minor league system like a Tinkins, like a TK Roby, and that those guys can be top-end starters. Do you, do you see that potential for those guys? Do they have, like, a number one that can develop in their system? I think Hintz could be a two- or three-starter. I don't think he'll be a one. But he basically everything he does is above average, and you can project average to above command. And that's basically what a number two is. I mean, that's basically the scouting reporter, Jordan Montgomery, who pitched like a two last year. Um, so Hintz is the guy I think you can count on. He hasn't thrown a ton of innings. I wouldn't count on him throwing a lot of innings in the big leagues, if at all, this year. I think 2025 is when he'll show up. And with young pitching, like we don't know if they're going to come up and immediately be good, or it takes a couple years. Um, I mean, Alex Ray is another example of a guy that came up that was even more hyped than Tink Hintz, and it was just sort of like, well, when when is this going to come together? And it just never quite did. Um, behind them, Roby, I think, is like a three if it works, probably more of a four. Uh, Cooper Jerby hasn't been throwing strikes. He's a three or a four if it clicks. McGreevy, I think, is a four. Garcefo is a four or five. Reverse is a four or five. Um, it's just like a lot of guys that are nice to Libertor, Zach Thompson. You have all these guys that are nice to have, can fill it out, can come up and be a six or seven starter to start the year and then fill in as guys get injured. But like you're saying, you're still there that when Gray and Gibson and Lynn and Michaelis and these guys' contracts are up, you don't have the one and two. You still have to go get that guy. And so if, for instance, you plug in Yamamoto, the entire thing changes. And that's how much money you paid. I think Gray and Gibson together this year would be the same, like 30-something that you give Nola or Yamamoto. Like, it's not like they couldn't afford that guy. They just don't want to do that kind of outlay or didn't think that they could, you know, get him to sign with them. It's, it's one of those things where it's like every team in baseball can afford to give one player $30 million. No one's payroll is $35 million. It's just a matter of do they want to take on the risk of not having that margin for error because obviously paying Arenado and Goldschmidt doesn't scare them. So like they, they can do it, but they don't want to do it because they don't like what it means if they're wrong. Thank you. Yes, yes. <laughs> what Kylie McDaniel just said in 30 seconds is what I've been trying to say for the last seven years on this show. Kylie, that is exactly right. Like they, they have the ability to make all of these moves that they preclude themselves from. They just don't want to. Like their spending has honestly been fine. I don't necessarily hate the fact that they're 10th in Major League Baseball and payroll. Like that, whatever. It is what it is. The problem is the lack of aggression at the top of the market. Like they spend on Andrew Miller and they spend on Greg Holland and they spend on Brett Cecil and they go to the market for these mid-tier starters where they're signing Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson. And instead of doing that, maybe just like, you know, get one of the really, really good guys. So if I put you in charge of the Cardinals today, Kylie, would you be making a run right now at like, for example, Blake Snell, who apparently nobody wants to pay? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily put my neck on the line for Blake Snell, particularly given what I think he wants and what Scott Boris wants and the way his eyes will light up if he hears a team that wasn't interested and is suddenly interested. Uh, But I think if given the entire offseason to sort of plan this out and go after the guys that you want and look at the trades and you have sort of the entire map available to you, yes. Uh, because the, I mean, I've been writing a version of this for years of ESPN, but the, the, the way I look at it is there are too many teams that when you get to what is the, what is the thing they're actually trying to do? Like they would say it's winning, but it's more like winning in the medium to long term, not winning in the short term. If you think back to like when you're a little kid and you're collecting baseball cards and like, I don't know if everybody did this, but I would take like open a couple packs and make a team out of them. Like I, I was basically playing like Madden franchise mode with my baseball cards when I was like six years old. It's just the way that I thought. 
if you go to that guy and say, hey, Kylie, we could, we could put you in charge of a baseball team. You'll make seven figures. Would you rather run the team to try to win some games and, you know, get a pennant and, you know, have a Hall of Fame induction where somebody says your name and, like, all that kind of stuff? Or would you rather manage the team for the three- to five-year period and the number one thing you're trying to do is the thing that we hate about politics where they're just trying to get reelected, they're trying to get the next contract, they're trying to, like, avoid risk and not get fired? Would you do that or, or would you, like, go for it and try to do something? What do you think six- or seven-year-old Kylie would say? Sure, and you're I think trying there, to win. There maybe should be a little bit more in that because, like, if you were to take, like – um, Lance Lynn and uh, William Contreras's or Wilson Contreras's contract and put it together, you could afford almost anyone on the free agent market just with the, this year's salary. And that is not the way anyone's thinking about it. I, uh, there was a GM I talked to last year where uh, he was off the record walking me through like their offseason because I had said some critical things about their offseason. He was explaining like, well, we couldn't do this and we offered that. And, and he was like, so we couldn't afford that guy. And I'm like, yeah, you could. He was like, no, we couldn't. And I was like, no, no, no you don't want to. It's like the same point I was just making to you. And I had to like take three laps with him for him to be like, well, yeah, I guess we could have afforded that guy, but it was 25 million a year and I didn't want to do that. I was like, there you go. Didn't want to do it. Thank you. And he like, didn't even consider that I was correct until I took three laps around it to be like, no, no, no. You made like seven assumptions that you didn't want to change. And that's why you couldn't afford him. But you could change those assumptions if you wanted to. The ownership gives you like a budget. They don't tell you don't spend over $20 million on, on any one guy. That's just what you decided to do. So that would be how I would approach it, the way seven-year-old Kylie would, hopefully with some of the wisdom that you know 38-year-old Kylie has come up with since then. Kylie McDaniels, our guest. He's one of the best uh, to talk a little baseball with. You can find his work over at ESPN.com where you can find his rankings of uh, all of the different farm systems in Major League Baseball. He has the Cardinals at number 18. That's kind of the range that they've they've hovered in. They've been like somewhere between 10 and, and 20 for you know the last decade or so. And they're one of the best teams in the sport at producing really solid major leaguers, whether that's starters, whether that's relievers, position players, etc. So that that ranking itself makes a lot of sense to me Kylie when you look at their system though who are the guys that get you excited where you just think to yourself like hey they could be something more than just your run-of-the-mill mid-rotation starter or like a sixth inning reliever or a really nice like utility infielder who are the guys that actually get you excited as a Cardinals observer observer so there's a couple guys that have various versions of like chances to be that guy and have the upside to be that guy. Mason Wynn is obviously one. I know he wasn't good in his debut. I still think he's going to be an above average everyday shortstop. And obviously with the 80 grade arm, I compare him to doing a lot of the same things as Raphael for call. That's a guy that like from early in my life that I still remember because he just like ran real fast and threw real hard and played shortstop and was on some good teams. And Wynn has some of that same stuff going on. So I think that's exciting. Tink Hens is the second rated prospect. I think he also has that stuff. It's a silky smooth arm action. He's just growing into stuff. And you could imagine his stuff taking one more step and all of a sudden he has four plus pitches and he's a starter. And this is like a dude, dude. Um, I think Victor Scott as like a plus plus runner that can put the ball on play that has sneaky power. I could see that guy turning into an above average everyday player. He was actually a little, little preview for you guys was 105. So just missed the top 100. Um, and then I think the guy that's not getting a lot of attention, like you probably remember Chase Davis, the first pick from the, this past year, he's corner outfielder with a lot of power, but not like 40 home run power. So, you know, it's, you know, similar to the guys that are on the team right now, but I would say Thomas DeGisi is a guy that's not getting a ton of attention. who was acquired at the, uh, the deadline last year who might hit, 260 with 25 homers and play the infield. I think he's a, a notch above that kind of tier of guy you're talking about where it's like, Oh yeah, this guy's fine. But like, if you can get a guy better than him, you'll take the guy better than him. And Sigisi might be a notch better than that might be, you know, in the Gorman territory, if things really click. And I don't think he's getting talked about in the way that Gorman and Jordan Walker and those guys were just because he isn't that physically big. He wasn't a high draft pick. He was recently traded. He's not a shortstop. 
but he's good at everything else. And so I think he's the guy that gets me uh, a little excited. And then one more I would say is Josh Baez, who has been injured, has been some swing and miss, but he has that might hit 30 or 40 home runs and has a plus-plus arm that's very easy to fall in love with. He was in the upper 90s on the mound as a high school player, but he's not a professional pitcher. Uh, if he can get the sort of consistency and contact together, he has a chance to just shoot right onto the top 100 and be the guy that we're talking about uh, at this time next year. Kylie, do you have like a comp for who Victor Scott reminds you of? Because I can't think of anybody who can steal 90 bases that would be in center field to comp him to. Uh, I mean, he's bigger than that, like Juan Pierre, uh, like style of player. And I think there's like a little more pop than that. And I'm hesitant to say, I remember when CJ Abrams was in the draft, I said he looked like Kenny Lofton because I think the tools were similar. And he also had like some of the same mannerisms and his like posture and his swing was similar. Uh, Scott, I'm thinking more of like a, like sort of a slasher that's going gap to gap and running and just sort of being annoying. It's like somewhere between those two extremes, but I'm not immediately coming up with a name, but I'm sure if you guys took like, or either one of us took 10 or 15 minutes, I could probably come up with a guy that, that does that sort of stuff. Kylie, appreciate the time as always, man. And not just because you confirm my priors, but thanks for hopping on with us today. We'll talk with you again soon, my friend. That should be my business card. I'm here to confirm your prize. <laughs> it's, it's a good way to go about it. That's Kylie McDaniel. Find his great work over at ESPN.com. You can follow him on Twitter as well, at KylieMCD. Always appreciate him joining us here on the show. I want to continue talking a little bit about what he mentioned there on the Cardinals and what they can do, but what they don't allow themselves to do. We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So Kylie McDaniel's a great guest. Always appreciate him hopping on with us today, mostly because he agrees with what I say. And that's the best way to get on this show. Not just once, but multiple times. Come on here. Agree with BK. You will be a regular guest on BK and Ferrario. But what he agreed with, I think most of you actually agree with. Not much of what I say, but sometimes I find a a measle of truth. And T-Bone, what he had to say was basically, hey, the Cardinals could afford any of the guys that were available this offseason if they really wanted to. They could have gone out and signed Yamamoto. Now, I think he just wanted to sign in L.A. I don't think he was coming here to St. Louis. So maybe that would have pushed him still to the Dodgers. But if they wanted to spend $30 million a year on a pitcher, they could. In fact, all they had to do was not sign Sonny Gray and not sign Lance Lynn. Put that together. You've got $30 million that you could spend on Yamamoto or any other pitcher that you wanted to go out there and find. Like if they if they wanted to make it work where... I think next offseason, Garrett Cole has an opt-out. If they wanted to get in on the Garrett Cole negotiation and they decide not to re-sign uh, Paul Goldschmidt, put Paul Goldschmidt's money along with one of the starters between Gibson and Lynn, that money, and boom, you've got the money. Like You could go make that work, but they don't want to. And I don't blame them necessarily because if you wanted to sign Garrett Cole, you're going to have to give him an eight- or nine-year deal worth like $35-plus million per season. That's a ton of risk at the back end for an older pitcher. The reason why I would have been okay with it on Yamamoto is because he's young. You're getting the front end of this where you're saying, okay, we're going to get the 25 to 35, which is his prime. And then we'll live with the fact that, hey, for the last couple of seasons, yeah, he's probably not going to be that good. And we're probably paying for a surgery somewhere in there. And we'll live with it. 
But I, I do think what he said there is the heart of the issue of what the Cardinals are running into right now. They're not willing to pay at the top of the market in free agency. They're not willing to part with their biggest assets via trade for pitchers. And they don't go out and acquire the types of starters or develop the types of starters that become front end pitchers. So you're just kind of left in this empty hole where you look around and say, okay, we're just not going to have a front of the line starter. That's a tough place to live in if you're trying to compete in this version of the National League. Yeah, you're kind of stuck like in the middle, the muddy middle where they're at right now. Because, like you said, you don't have a clear path to getting a number one starter. And unlike where position players happen, where, let's just be honest, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arnado kind of fell into the Cardinals' lap. You don't have that with number one starters. Teams are going to hold on to those, and they're going to, when they do sell them, like if they say we can't extend, for the Brewers, for example, we can't extend a Corbin Burns, they they want a pretty good haul for him. It's not going to be an easy trade to get get a number one starter. So I, I, I've i always been on the side of, hey, it's not that they can't afford an ace or they couldn't afford someone at the top of the market. It's for some reason they choose not to do that. They choose it's better to kind of divvy up their funds and go with, okay, it's better if we kind of allocate all these resources to three players rather than go all in for just one, which I find kind of funny because, like, they always go in short in the offseason. You know, at the end of the offseason, what are we looking at this year? They're short on a number two starter. But you're not afraid to, like, go in short at, like, the back end. Like, why not spend more money to get top one and two starter and say we're short on a number five? Instead, they said, no, no, let's divvy up all this money and let's make sure we have a five-man rotation that whether it's good or not, we don't really know, but we know what the consistency of it looks like. So I, I've always been on the side of they don't it, – would it be best to develop an ace? Absolutely, because you're going to get three years of him making league minimum and you hope that it pans out well and that you've got six years of control. But the odds are it's really hard to do that, as we've seen. So you've got to be willing to spend that money, and that's a choice by the Cardinals. Not something they can't afford. It's something they're not willing to do. You have to be willing to spend something. You have two different kinds of assets in Major League Baseball. You've got either the resources that you use via um, your prospects capital, or you've got money. Those are the two ways that you can spend. And the Orioles just decided to spend with their capital. They, they, they have their prospects capital. They've got all of the prospects you could possibly ask for. The number one farm system in the sport, according to Kylie McDaniel, and really every ranking that's out there. So they said, you know what? Okay, we got two fringe top 100 prospects. And in return for these, we can get, I don't know, Corbin Burns for a year? Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. What they should now do is say, okay, now we can get Dylan Cease for like three of those guys that we just traded. Yeah, let's do that as well. And now instead of going into next season with questions at the front end of their rotation, they'll have potentially Corbin Burns, Dylan Cease, and all of the guys that they had in their rotation last year. Yeah, that's a contender. Now you have built something that is real. And all you had to do was spend prospect capital. And they have a surplus amount of it to trade from. Well, where do the Cardinals have that? They have it on the position player side of things. Look for where Thomas Sejaci is going to play. Like, Try to find the spot. This year, next year, two years from now, three years from now. If they're right on the players that are currently on the Major League roster. Okay, so you have Nolan Arenado. He's going to man third base for the next four years, you would think. At shortstop, you believe Mason Wynn is your answer for the next five years at a minimum. At second base, they believe right now Brendan Donovan or Nolan Gorman will be their answer there for the next five years. Maybe you don't have a first baseman beyond this upcoming season, but if it's not Paul Goldschmidt, it's probably like Alec Burleson or yeah. somebody that's not currently in the organization. I don't think Sejaci really profiles to fit there. So where's he playing? Where's he getting everyday opportunities on this team? I'm not telling you you have to trade him, but... 
it's hard to find the fit for him here unless something else from this roster is moved out. So that that's why I continue to look at this and say, man, there is an opportunity here. And maybe it's just at the deadline and we're being too short-minded. That's that's fine. I will admit defeat if they go out there and actually make the move at the deadline that they have not made in like say, 15 years. Because they've done that before. It's been since like Matt Holiday where they've made a trade like this at a trade deadline. So I, I don't really know what's to say when it comes to their history of it other than nothing suggests that this is the kind of move that they will make. But it's the kind of move they need to make in order to bolster that pitching stuff. A hundred percent. And I, I think it all goes back because, I mean, you mentioned the Holiday deal, but I don't know if there was really a deal between Holiday and up until the Rosa Reina deal that you could, like, circle and say, hey, look, they did this kind of move that we're talking about where they had a, a, a lot of a certain position group in their prospect pool and they traded out to go get a superstar. I, I don't think they did one between Holiday and Rosa Reina, but the reason I put that timeline there is why, why do I think they've suddenly gotten really conservative and holding on to all these pieces is because – well, what is Thomas Sejaci? He's the break glass in case of emergency. If Gore, if Gorman does not turn out to be the guy that they think at second base and they have to make Donovan just the all-around utility guy rather than just saying, hey, he's the second baseman for the next four-plus years, well, hey, we got the guy. We got Sejaci here. We, we, we then can figure out what we're going to do with Nolan Gorman, but then what happens is you water down the asset again, and that's the, the same issue that we've talked about for year it's after year what they've year done in the outfield year. for a decade. Exactly. And in the end, what did it amount to? Every single season, T-Bone, over the last seven years, there has been a new outfield starter from the previous year. It's like this year, your new outfield starter on opening day is very likely going to be um, Tommy, Tommy Edmond. Next year, your new opening day starter in the outfield is probably going to be Victor Scott. So over an eight-year stretch on opening day, there has been at least one change to the outfield every single season. Some natural churn makes a lot of sense. Like rosters change. You want to see some turnover on a year-in, year-out basis. That You don't want things to get stale. But when you look at it every single season over an eight-year period, it means you bet wrong consistently. And if you're consistently getting things wrong, hey, maybe we should make a bet on something that we know is going to be there. That's what Goldie is. That's what Arenado is. That's what Wilson Contreras is. You know those guys are going to be franchise pillars. You don't have that in your rotation right now, so go find one. Go get yourself a pillar in the rotation that can be there and learn underneath Sonny Gray for right now and eventually take on that role. All right, final thing I wanted to get to here. Katie Wu had an interesting piece the other day over on The Athletic. She's putting together a fan survey for all of you. If you haven't taken it yet, I, I recommend going and taking it. It's, if nothing else, a good thought experiment for Cardinals fans, and I, I will be curious to see what the results look like on this uh, in the foreseeable future. But T-Bone, I wanted to ask you a few of the questions that were a part of this survey from Katie Wu. The first one was this. What do you believe was the biggest problem for the Cardinals in 2023? If you could answer that question in any way, the single biggest problem for the Cardinals in 2023 was blank. Had no starting pitching. And not just no starting pitching, but put their eggs in the wrong basket. They put the eggs in the basket of Jack Flaherty, and he never was right after coming off the shoulder injury. Um, You look at Adam Wainwright, they put their eggs in the basket that, hey, age is but a number. Father Time finally won that battle. Um, And then they just had no pitching depth as a whole. Matthew Libertor, I don't think, is a Major League Baseball caliber starter. Zach Thompson, fringe of that. Drew Rahm, after acquiring him, clearly was not a Major League starter. So I would say lack of starting pitching and the lack of starting pitching depth that was in the organization going into the year. I would say it was defense. I actually think the single biggest issue for them last year and the reason why the bottom all fell out is because they sucked defensively. 
And if you just get back to being good defensively, it changes a lot of what we talk about with the starters. Good defense can make up for pitching that is below average. We've seen that here in St. Louis for years. The difference last year, I don't think you had significantly worse pitching last year than you have at times in the past. I think the difference was you had similar pitching with horrible defense for the first time since like the end of the Mike Matheny era. So I, I would actually go defense was the biggest problem for the Cardinals last season. Pitching was was very close. Like it's 1A, 1B. But for me, I would say that the, it was the defense that actually was the biggest issue for them. Second thing here, if the Cardinals could make one more move this offseason, what would you want it to be? Sign Blake Snell. I, I don't know if there's another move out there that, I mean, maybe they could trade for C's, but I I want to see Blake Snell here because he's got legitimate swing and miss stuff would slot right in right there with uh, Sonny Gray, and I don't think he's going to get the deal he's looking for. I think the he was looking for like a $200 million deal. He's not going to get that. So I would say sign uh, Blake Snell. Mine's in that same vein. It's just get a number two starter. Get somebody that I can look at, and I don't have to squint. I could say, okay, I, I, that makes sense. Like Chris Sale would have been that. I Makes sense. I see how this fails, but I also don't have to like really make a hard hard sell to say, yeah, he's a number two starter. Like Look at his history. Look at the baseball reference page and say, okay, cool, yeah, I get it. Like how you're squinting for Miles Michaelis, yeah, <laughs> to be a number two, a hundred percent. Like if that's Dylan Cease, fine. If that's Jesus Luzardo, great. If that ends up being Logan Gilbert, awesome. Uh, Framber Valdez, great. Somebody in that caliber of a pitcher. Um, just make one more of those moves. I'd feel great about it. T-Bone, what would you consider a successful 2024 season for the Cardinals? So I think I'm going to get a lot of pushback for this. Um, I, I would say win the NL Central, which d- d- won't take a lot, um, and, and win a playoff round would be what I would say is kind of successful. The, and be compet- if you lose in the DS, let me add this caveat here, you lose in the divisional series, at least be competitive. That That's what I would say. That would be the goal for the Cardinals because I, I don't think they're built right now to win a World Series. I, I truly believe they're kind of in a transition while still trying to remain competitive while they're hoping that their pitching develops. I, I would say win the division, win a playoff round, and if you lose in the DS or CS, at least be competitive. I think if you get to 90 wins, you get to the NLDS and are competitive, that's a successful year. I agree with you. Um, and that's because of the way that they've constructed the roster. If they had been more aggressive and got that number two starter... I would be speaking very differently right now. But with the roster that they currently have assembled, that is a clear step forward. It's a sign of progress. It is a step in the right direction. And I think it would be signaling that, okay, they got some good answers on the team. Now it would require them this offseason to then take that next step. Go get that big-time starter. Go find a way to improve. But for 2024, I think that getting back to contention would be enough for it to be considered. That's the bare minimum, but that would be considered a quote-unquote success to me. And the final one that I wanted to ask you from Katie Wu's survey over on The Athletic, which player would you most want the Cardinals to extend prior to spring training if you could get one extension done? Jordan Walker. I I, I would sign Jordan Walker to a very team-friendly contract extension that would cover up all of his arbitration years and maybe even a little bit of his free agent years. Because he he is the real deal. I, I think a lot of people are going to say, if I had to guess what the results are in this survey, a lot of people might say Paul Goldschmidt. I'm kind of concerned of what I saw from Paul Goldschmidt last year. So I think the number one candidate for me would be Jordan Walker. I think I would go Brendan Donovan. Is that weird? And the reason why is because I just, I think he is a guy that they are clearly betting on to be one of the leaders of the team. They have become, they have said publicly now He's becoming like a face and a voice of the team. And if you if you truly believe that and you want him fully invested and not that he wouldn't be, but I would just buy out his arbitration years, keep him here for the long haul and say that guy is everything we want the Cardinals to be. 
He plays hard. He plays all over the place. He's good defensively all over. He gets on base. He makes every change you could ask for. Like, that is the heart of the St. Louis Cardinals, and we are rewarding you. For even during the time when the team stunk going into the trade deadline, the dude was DHing with one arm and was still one of the best hitters on the team while DHing with one arm. So I think I would go with Brendan Donovan as the guy that I would extend, as long as they're not planning to use him in a in any kind of a trade. But if they are as in on him as they say they are, I, I would say that he's probably the guy. I also think it would be cheaper yeah, and well, easier. Well, the, the other thing that I would say, and this is why you kind of go to my point of why I don't know if I'd consider Donovan, is I don't know if he ever outprices himself from you. You know, Jordan Walker plays really well. I mean, you're talking about a guy that could get like $20, 25000000 million at the back end of arbitration. Right. So I don't know if he'll ever get to the point where it's like, man, Donovan's really getting pricey here in arbitration. And those are the guys that I look to extend when you're talking about this on younger players so you get that better surplus value. I tend to agree with that as well. But I think that it would be easier to get a deal done with Brendan Donovan quicker and cheaper. And I also think you're rewarding him before you – I think with Walker, you want to see the defense improve first to find out, okay, is he for sure an everyday right fielder for us? And after this season, I think that's when I would – really be targeting one with Jordan Walker. All right, coming up next, the LA Kings made a huge move earlier today. They've decided that they're going to fire their head coach. Now, Doug Armstrong has said over the last year or two, hey, we want to be what the LA Kings were. They went through a retool instead of a rebuild, and they're coming out the other end right now. Well, the other end appears to be the same place where the Blues are right now, which is firing their head coach in the midst of a wildcard race in the Western Conference. What does that mean? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. So there was big news in the NHL earlier today. The LA Kings, the team that the Blues are, are are taking as the model for their retool, have announced that they're firing their head coach, Todd McClellan. Now, T-Bone, this comes at the heels of the Kings. They started off the season as hot as anybody in the sport. They were at the beginning of the year. Something resembling what the Edmonton Oilers have been over the last month and a half, basically since the Oilers made their coaching change. And, man, after that hot start, the Kings have really slowed down. You saw the new the, the quote a few weeks ago, I guess it would be now, where uh, was it Drew Doughty who came out yeah. and said, hey, we've got guys in this locker room that care more about their individual numbers than they do winning. Once that happened, you knew, okay, there's something that's going to be coming. It's just a matter of when, not if. 
And now it's happened. The Kings have named an interim head coach. They're not going out there, at least as of right now, and hiring somebody like a Craig Berube or Gerard Gallant. They're just hoping that they can change things internally, and hopefully the new voice will end up kicking things into high gear the way that it really has here in St. Louis to a lesser degree. But T-Bone, when we think about Doug Armstrong, who, by the way, will be on the fast lane coming up today at 2.30 with the guys, what he has said about the Kings and their retool and how it's worked, and that's the model for the Blues. And now we see, well, the retool has resulted in two straight first-round exits and in year three of that retool where they're supposed to be really going for it. They went all in with the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade. They're firing their coach midseason. Is that actually the model that you want to be following if you're the Blues? No, I, I don't think so, because I think the L.A. Kings are admitting today that the retool has kind of failed or it's fallen flat because I, I think when you signal that, hey, we're not going to go look for a head coach from the outside like a Craig Berube who has a Stanley Cup in his resume and they just go with someone that was on McClellan's staff, it tells me I'm not sure they're really confident that that group's going to be able to turn it around. I, I I think if you thought you had some confidence in that group and that what you saw in the first half of the year was real, you'd go out and get a head coach that has proven experience. So. I think they admitted today that this retool has not worked. And I think if you're the St. Louis Blues, I think you can still look at it and you can look at it and say, okay, where did it go wrong? Where, What are the learning lessons from what they did? Because in theory, I could understand how Doug Armstrong looked at it going into the year or once they sell, sold off last year at the deadline and said, okay, I like what they're doing. They're building. They're on the come up. They're going to be the team. And now you saw it kind of fail. And I think now you can look at it and go, okay, why did it fail? And what they did, maybe we go through it and we build that way, and then we can learn from what their mistake was in year three, which I think their mistake was trading for Pierre-Luc Dubois, getting rid of some of their depth of scoring. You go, okay, we just won't make that move when we get to that point. I think that's the move that you look back on and you say, okay, that's where we went awry. I wonder if it's even beyond that, though. Like Kevin Fiala is a, a pretty good player, I would say, but defensively he's not great. And that was another trade that they made before last season. So their their two quote unquote all in moves were trading for Pierre Luc Dubois, comes, who comes with an eight and a half million dollar cap hit for the next like seven seasons, and then trading for Kevin Fiala, who immediately got an extension worth like almost eight million dollars per year. And so those two guys for them are essentially in the Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo role of how much money yep. they're making. When you combine them, it's almost exactly the same as what Cairo and Thomas are making here in St. Louis. And they were wrong. Like it, it appears at least early on, it's it's early portion of it. They, it appears that they were wrong on those guys being top line caliber players. And when you're wrong on something like that, dude, it sets you back in a massive way. And so I guess the lesson to be learned here, if you're the blues is, You can't be wrong on the top guys. If you get it wrong in the middle, you can make up for that. Like if you get it wrong with Brandon Saad, for example, I think the the Blues got it exactly right. But if you get it wrong with him, it's fine. Like it's a $4 million. You can work around that. But if you get it wrong with Kairou, Thomas, maybe Buchnevich with that long-term extension could fit into this criteria that we're talking about here. That's when it kind of sends things sideways. And especially when you get it wrong by trading talent and then giving an extension to somebody, I think they just got aggr- overly aggressive for potentially the wrong players. And so if as you look towards the Blues this offseason, when they do start to finally get a little bit of money back underneath the cap, there are lessons to be learned here. The Kings were on the right path, and then suddenly they went sideways. So this offseason, if you're the Blues, man, you got to get it right. 
And that's always the case. I understand that. It's easier said than done, but they, they can't have their Kevin Fiala, and they really cannot cannot have their version of Pierre-Luc Dubois. Yeah, and, and you know, you bringing that up just tells me, like, hey, I, th- I think their next two biggest decisions in this retool, forget what they're doing in the offseason and looking forward, you know, trying to fix the defense, if you will. It comes down to Cairo and Bucinavich are the two biggest decisions. Will, will Cairo figure it out and – if you don't believe so, you have to potentially try and move on from that deal before his no trade clause kicks in. You look at Pavel Buchnevich, I mean, they can technically sign him to a contract extension next year. So they have to be deciding, okay, is he going to be worth what he's looking for? And if not, then what do you do? You have to trade him. You have to trade him and make him kind of the piece that we've talked about in the past of, can he be the guy that ends up pulling in the Pierre-Luc Dubois capital, which... What they got was depth of scoring, and that's what the Blues are looking for. So I think you're right, and I think it really puts a bunch of pressure on Doug Armstrong to determine the future of Jordan Cairo. Is he this guy that we're going to put all our eggs in one basket for? I know he's already got the contract, but they can try and get out of it at least for one more year. And then Pavel Buchnevich, too, is looking for his next contract. So the trade deadline is still about a month and a half away, but we are seeing some deals getting done earlier than we usually do. This is around the time when stuff starts starts to heat up. I mean, the Blues last year, right out of the All-Star break, I think it was three games in, traded Ryan O'Reilly. That was the first signal that the Blues had had turned their attention to 2024 and beyond. Um, but the deals are starting to come in prior to the All-Star break. And now during the All-Star break in the NHL, the first big one was the Elias Lindholm trade to the Vancouver Canucks. So that was a Western Conference team at the top of the conference, really going for it with Lindholm. The new one is the Winnipeg Jets have traded for Sean Monahan, the forward from the Montreal or from the Montreal Canadiens. He is on a one-year deal. It's not worth a whole lot of money. They are getting a player that is not up there in age, but is is a veteran at this point in time, 29 years old. Man, Winnipeg is a really good team, and they just added another significant piece here. I think what we're going to see this year at the deadline because of the way that the Western Conference is kind of stratified. I think you're going to see the teams at the top be hyper aggressive because there is no like obvious number one can't miss team in the West. There are just like four or five of them that all have a very good chance to be able to get to the Stanley Cup final. So Colorado, Winnipeg, Dallas, Vancouver, Vegas, Edmonton. I think those six teams this year are all roughly the same. And I could see all of them making some significant additions. I think the The power in the conferences has shifted from last year, I think it was in the East, to this year being much more at the top of the West. Yeah, I I would agree with that. And and I think you're, I totally agree with what you said, where you're going to see all these teams in this Western Conference at the top get hyper aggressive because they're going to try and separate themselves. And we saw Vancouver make the aggressive move. I, I'll be curious to see what happens. And I, I find it fascinating to see what happens kind of when you're, when you look at outside those top six. What happens in these teams that are in the muddy middle? The L.A. Kings are trying to figure it out. We know we've talked about the Blues. What are they going to do? Arizona's got a ton of capital that they can move from. But I, I I think if a lot of those teams may end up saying, let's just kind of hold right now. I think that maybe where the Blues end up as well because of the top of the Western Conference. Because why, why bring in something big if you're a team that's in the muddy middle when you can look up at the rest of those top six teams that we just brought up and go, well, do we really have a chance if we go up against them in the playoffs? And maybe we think we match up well with one of them, but can we do that for three rounds to get to a Stanley Cup? I, I, that's going to be tough for all these teams in the wild card picture. Yeah, I, I don't think that the, that should be the way the Blues look at it. I think the Blues at this point is just taking. Hey, how, how do we get in? 
what what is it going to take for us to be able to get in? And when you have all of these teams that are battling for these even the mid-tier players, I do think it makes it unlikely for the Blues to be able to acquire somebody at the deadline. I think it means that they're probably going to be holders. Like, hey, can we can we stick where we're at, find a way to make it in as a wild card team and just fight through the process that way instead of trying to add at the deadline. I don't think the Blues have a ton to sell this year at the trade deadline. I think the, most of their moves are offseason moves this time around. With Tanner Hendrickson and Jordan Deacon, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. In about 10 minutes or so, I want to go through and look at, okay, compared to the rotation in the bullpen last year, how much did the Cardinals actually improve their pitching heading into 2024? We'll do that coming up in about 10 minutes or so. The junk drawer is coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We are heading into a weekend that will include almost exactly zero sports. You've got the all-star game in the NHL. You've got the all-star game in the NFL. That's pretty much it. No blues, no Cardinals. It's the last weekend where we'll be able to say that in quite some time. Super Bowl coming up next week. I think this is the worst time of the year for the sports calendar. Some will say it's right after the All-Star game for Major League Baseball. Uh Uh-uh, disagree. At least with that point in the season, at that point in the calendar year, you've got the ability to go outside. Like, you just go hang out. Go, Go drink some beers next to the pool. Go grill with the family. Like, Go do whatever, right? Go on a walk at Creevecore Lake. Go over to Alton and hang out at one of the breweries over there. Like, you can do a bunch of stuff. We live in St. Louis, Missouri. It's the middle of, uh, I guess, the beginning of February at this point in time. What the hell are you going to do right now? This weekend, you know what it's I'm going to do? pretty nice this weekend. Yeah. During the day, it's going to be like 45, 50 degrees. Put on a sweatshirt. This is the worst. If you are a like diehard sports fan, I genuinely believe this is the worst weekend of the year. The absolute worst weekend of the year. And I, I don't enjoy the NHL's all-star festivities. I'm sorry. They do nothing for me. The NFL side of things like the games. It's not necessarily for me. This might shock you. My wife loves watching them. So we'll have it on in the background, but that's it. It does nothing more for me. And so I am, I am in need of betting on something. I am in need of watching something and consuming something sports related. And there ain't nothing going on this weekend for it. Yeah, th- this weekend is brutal uh, because you're right. Th- first off, I, this is what, 11 days without Blues hockey. There's nothing going on. The local basketball teams aren't very good. It, I, so I agree said, with yeah, you. Vandy versus Missouri in basketball. Yeah, Who I would pay to not that watch game? that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't need to be a part of that. They both don't have an SEC win. Nobody wants to watch that. Yeah, there, there's nothing going on. And I, I get your point about going outside because, though, yeah, you could go outside and do something. It's not great to do it when it's cold. It's been cl- I feel like it's been cloudy yeah. every freaking day. Now, let's just compare. What would you rather go outside during the all-star break in the summer or now? Well, I don't know. How hot is it going to be in July? Oh, get out of here. Get like, the hell out of here, man. You know the summers in St. Louis suck? Go to the pool. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You can find ways to make that pretty enjoyable. Go on a float trip? Yeah. You can, yeah. You can right. find some things to do with that. Um, and, and the reason I like the 
I don't like the baseball All Star Week, but at least the, I think the game, the MLB All Star Game, is fun, interesting. I think it's the best in all of sports, and it's only four days. Then the Cardinals are. I'm looking at their schedule now. They hit the All Star break on the 15th, which is a Monday. They are back in action that Friday at the Atlanta Braves. Like, yes, please. That is so much better than this one. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line. From the 314. Boys, this is the weekend to clean the garage. I would be curious on the text line or the YouTube chat, youtube.com slash 101 ESPN. We've been getting after it over there. Uh, it is a rowdy bunch over there, and I was un- unaware of that. I need to be checking the YouTube chat more often. I have not been good about that thus far. I will be doing so moving forward. Hot damn, they are uh, up and down, hot and cold, I would say, with our show at times. Um, what are you doing this weekend to pass the time? I, I am no joke. I read this text and I was like, so incredibly relatable. I am cleaning out our storage area downstairs. That is that is on the docket for this weekend is it is officially time. I'm going down there. We moved in three years ago this March, I guess it would be. And we have not like reorganized since moving in. So you just add in stuff like every time that you're bringing something down, it's just getting added to the mix of what was already down there. So eventually it's just like exploding with stuff. That's where I'm at. It is time to officially attack that this weekend. T-Bone, you've got a an apartment. I would assume it's um, it's officially cleaning weekend for you? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, it'll be a cleaning weekend. You know what oh I'm God. doing? I'm going to get a lot of crap for this probably on the text line. I'm taking down the Christmas stuff this weekend. It has not come down at my apartment yet. Really? We just did that this week. Oh, then I don't jo- feel so Jordan bad. Jordan okay. our producer today, is astonished taken aback by the fact that we were so late on this. That is something that you have to do in between Christmas and New Year's. You oh, start no. the New Year off right. Have a newborn and let me know how that goes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no, forget that rule anyways. I don't have a newborn. I, I, I love the Christmas spirit, so I put that stuff up November 1st and it don't come down until February 1st. So. Really? Well, we're yeah. on the second. Oh, this is like the- yeah, yeah, this was not like oh, no. I've been busy. I, I mean, I have been busy, but this was ideal of I'm not going to do it till the first weekend of February. Like this is when I get home today, I am starting the process of taking down the Christmas stuff. My god, man. Have a little Christmas spirit. It's February. So? Oh Name god. a better time of the year than Christmas. I'll wait. 3143999646 is the air comfort service exactly. text line to get involved in the show. Coming up here in about 15 minutes or so, why are so many college coaches bolting for the NFL? According to national reports, It's because everybody's going to be leaving college football. Nobody wants to be a coach in college anymore. I call nonsense. We'll get into that coming up in 15 minutes. Coming up next, did the Cardinals actually improve their pitching from where it was at this point last year? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. actually upgrade their pitching from where they were at this point last year to where they were where they are now today alongside tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kylie you've got bk and ferrario here on 101 espn t-bone i think my answer is a a shrug emoji like yeah technically they did they probably did it just depends on how you view it i think they have a lot more certainty going into the season today than they had at this point last year last year they were betting on upside they were betting on hope belief maybe possibly injury like a lot of stuff that had to go right for them but if it did you could see how it would work out i said going into last season i was obviously incredibly wrong about this actually didn't mind their plan i didn't think they really had an alternative 
You've got Jack Flaherty coming back from injury. You got to bet on it. Like, what, what's the alternative? You're just not going to have Jack Flaherty as a part of your rotation? It's why we had him in our top five and the most important Cardinals heading into last year. It failed spectacularly. That bet that they placed upon him couldn't have gone any worse. They bet on Adam Wainwright. I had my skepticism in a big way about that. I said early in the offseason, T-Bone, if I told you you could have Charlie Morton or Adam Wainwright on the same contract going into last season, who would you rather have? Like, would you be willing to give up the whole, hey, it's Wayno's final year, the send-off tour, to maybe upgrade to Charlie Morton? My answer to that question was yes, but the Cardinals were never going to do that, so they bet on Adam Wainwright for one final year. They also bet big in their bullpen. They bet on Drew Verhagen to bounce back. They bet on Hennessy's Cabrera to be okay, to be more consistent. They bet on Jordan Hicks to be the guy that they knew he could be when he was healthy. And those were met with, like, mostly negative results. So going into this year, you have taken Jordan Montgomery and put him into Sonny Gray's spot. Jack Flaherty's spot is now filled by Kyle Gibson. Wayno now Lance Lynn. So Monty Flaherty, Wayno versus Sonny Gray, Kyle Gibson, Lance Lynn. That's what you've done in the rotation. On the bullpen side of things, you have replaced Jordan Hicks with Keenan Middleton. You have replaced Chris Stratton and what I think is a huge upgrade to Andrew Kittridge. By the way, the interview with Andrew Kittridge, Kittridge was really good earlier today. If you missed it, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101ESPN app is where you go to find it. He was on with the opening drive. Hinesis Cabrera is JoJo Romero. And then Drew Verhagen's spot will be filled by one of the lottery ticket items. Fernandez, Robertson, O'Brien, James, maybe one of the young guys. Somebody will fill that role, and that will be filled what previously was Drew Verhagen. So Hicks, Stratton, Cabrera, Verhagen are now Middleton, Kittridge, Romero, and then the lottery ticket items for your bullpen. T-Bone, in your opinion, have the Cardinals actually upgraded their pitching from where they were at this point last year? I think they have, but it's like by the bare minimum, in my opinion. And now, granted, I, I think I would listen more so on the bullpen that they did a, a little bit better job there. But on the rotation side, I, I feel like it's like the bare minimum. Like Sonny Gray and Jordan Montgomery, yeah, I think that I think that's an upgrade because Sonny Gray is like a 1B in baseball. He may not be viewed as an ace, but I, I think he can be categorized as like a 1B. And I think like that's kind of what people view Jordan Montgomery as. Then I look at the rest of this and I go, okay, Jack Flaherty, like, Sure, you banked on the upside of, like, maybe he'd be back and healthy, but that was a major question mark. And now I get Kyle Gibson, which, to your point, yeah, it's more certainty. But then I look at the numbers, I go, yeah, this guy had a 5 ERA two of the last three years and was close to that again last year with Baltimore and has been a below-league average pitcher in terms of ERA plus in the last three years. So, sure, I got more certainty. I don't know how good the certainty is. And then I look at Lance Lynn compared to Wayno. And I go with the same thing. Like, okay, I think I know what I'm getting, but am I just going to ignore the fact that he gave up 40 home runs last year? Please. Like, well, no, I can't do that, Mo. I have to look at that. I, so, like, yes, there's more certainty. Yes, I feel confident that at least Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson are going to post every day. I don't have confidence that, like, Gibson's going to return to having a 3.71 ERA he had in 2021. I'm not completely convinced that Lance Lynn has fixed the home run issue now that he's here in St. Louis. So did they get better? Yes, and I wouldn't even argue that. But how much they got better by? Like it, I think it's like the it's slim, and it's like the bare minimum they could have done to get like a passing grade in the offseason. I know people will probably disagree with me. I just think Sonny Gray is better than Jordan Montgomery. 
I just think he's a better pitcher. I, if I could have one or the other, set aside any of the money, set aside the longevity of the deals, like get rid of all of that. You're telling me for 2024, you could have Sonny Gray or Jordan Montgomery at the front end of your rotation. I would rather have Sonny Gray. And from there, like tell me going into last year, I can have Jack Flaherty or Adam Wainwright. This year, I could have Kyle Gibson or Lance Lynn. I think it depends on what I'm looking for. If I'm looking for upside, I would rather have the Flaherty side because Jack Flaherty had the potential going into last year I mean, even at worst, be a number three starter. He could have been a middle-of-the-rotation guy with upside. I don't think Gibson or Lynn have that. I think Gibson and Lynn, you know exactly what they are. They're going to eat innings for you. They're going to be, like, probably mid-fours ERA. It's what I would expect out of them heading into the season. But I think there's less downside with Gibson and Lynn than there was with Flaherty and Wayno. Because Flaherty, we knew, was not a guy that got deep into games, even when he was pitching well for the most part. He was a guy that, how many times did we hear Jim Edmonds say, hey, if if he could just be more efficient with his pitches, yeah. he could get deeper into these games. And it just never really happened for him. He was more of a six-inning pitcher when he was great than he was like a seven or an eight-inning guy. And Wayno, we could see the diminishing returns by the end of the 2022 season. He was a guy that was on the IL, came back, and got shellacked for the final month of the season, and they apparently were going to start him in Game 3 of the Wild Card Series. Mm-hmm. Don't need to get into that. And then they bring him back for $17.5 million. We all just kind of had to assume, okay, this is going to be fine. It's every, everything's going to be great. And he had, like, the worst season by any pitcher ever. So I think the downside is less with Gibson and Lynn. So given what the Cardinals need going into the season, what I believe their offense can be, what I think their defense is going to be, which is a lot better than what it was last year, I would rather have this version of the rotation heading into 2024 than like if I could run it back and have some kind of time machine and bring the 23 rotation to today without knowing like the men in black flashy thing in front of our eyes, what the results were last year. I would rather have this version of the Cardinals rotation. And I think the bullpen's a no contest. Like I would just rather have these guys than Hicks, Stratton, Cabrera, and Verhagen. I was already skeptical at best on Cabrera heading into last year. We knew what Stratton was. He was a guy that takes the ball every day you need him to, but I mean, the upside's incredibly limited. It's, yeah. There's a reason why he got what he did in the free agent market this offseason. And Drew Verhagen, I was out on. So it was really, hey, do you want Jordan Hicks and the upside that's there, which is good. I like Jordan Hicks a lot. Or the upside that exists with Middleton, which is pretty similar to Jordan Hicks and JoJo Romero. And one of the lottery ticket items. And oh, by the way, I've got Andrew Kittridge, who might be the best pitcher of any of the names that we've mentioned so far. Yeah, give me that version of the Cardinals bullpen. So I think you've upgraded a decent amount in the pen, and I would rather have this version of the Cardinals rotation. I think it is better. I just think you needed to get so much better that the fact that we can even have a conversation and it's like, maybe you could argue the other side is a little disappointing to me. That's what I was going to bring up because like, I look at the rotation that we're just now looking at and comparing, and I'm going, man, these are, like, both blah. Like, these aren't good choices. This is, like, option A is pretty bad. Option B is just slightly better but still categorizes as bad. And I look at that and go, that goes back to our Kylie McDaniel point of, you could have gotten a number two, you just chose not to. Like, if I said that the rotation was last year, Monty Flaherty, Wayno, and then you could choose between Gray uh, I don't know, Bring insert your number two starter here, and then that fifth one is Zach Thompson. I would have taken that one, and it wouldn't have been close it, because I, this rotation is, yes, I think you're right. You know what it is, 
but I'm not sure that's good enough still for the St. Louis Cardinals. I, it, and it just depends, I guess, on what we're grading this on. Because regular season-wise, I could hear the argument where it is, hey, they could win 85 games to 90 games with this rotation. Sure, but you're not winning squat in the playoffs. And, and that would be my counterpoint of I, these are both bad options because I want the options, to your point, on like the upside of Flaherty. Of, yeah, if that hit, man, they had a pretty good rotation potentially going into the playoffs next last season. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. That is the Air Comfort Service text line. Um, From the 618, every Cardinal segment on this station comes back to the Cardinals need a front-end starter. Guys, we get it. There's a reason for that. It's because that is what every conversation about the Cardinals should be about. Guys, the Cardinals are the Cardinals are good elsewhere. If you want to like go into their bullpen and say, "Hey, how does this stack up against other bullpens around the league?" Especially if you, like if you dive into the nerdy numbers, it's one of the best bullpens potentially heading into the season in all of Major League Baseball. There was a, a list that came out yesterday. Now, the list is kind of junk, but MLB Network's top 10 relievers in baseball right now. Ryan Helsing was number two on that list. So at least according to one list, they have a top five reliever in the sport. Their eighth inning guy is Gio Gallegos, who, yeah, had a down season last year, but prior to that was one of the most consistent relievers in the sport. You've got Andrew Kittridge, who is honestly one of the more underrated relievers in all of baseball. Uh, Keenan Middleton kind of found something last year which might make him into one of your best swing and miss relievers you've had in years. Jojo Romero was really good down the stretch last year. Like you have the makings of a very good bullpen defensively. This team has the potential to be very good. Goldie and Arnado are gold glovers. You look up the middle. Like I think they're going to be fine at second base. And I think they've got a potential gold glover at shortstop left field. You've got a plus defender center field plus defender. Like your two spots where you're not a plus defender are really catcher and right field and whatever. Like, and I expect right field to actually get to average probably this 100%. year. So defensively, you're okay. Base running wise. You've got two guys at the bottom of your order that have the potential to steal like 25 bags this year. And all the way throughout, you're at least semi-athletic. You look at what you have with the offense, I think they have the chance to one through seven be the deepest lineup in the league this year. Now, the Dodgers have a better lineup because of what their top four is, but you could have one through seven, seven different dudes that are at least 10% above league average offensively. So yeah, of course, everything comes back to the number two starter. Everything comes back to the fact that they don't have that guy in their rotation Because as you start to look at, okay, what are the boxes you have to check to be a contender in the National League? I think it's the only one they don't check. Genuinely. I think they check every other box that I would look for from a contender other than do you have a number one or a number two starter? They might have one of those two things in Sonny Gray. They don't have the other. So, yeah, I, I, I also hate that every conversation comes back to that because it it's really annoying and monotonous. But that's where the Cardinals are. That, there's a reason why every single one of these conversations comes back to the same point in the end. Yeah, and, and like if you held up the – I'm going to use the Diamondback – or here, I'll use the Braves here. Like if you held up the Braves lineup to the Cardinals lineup, yeah, you would favor the Braves because of their top four. But again, like I don't think they're slugging 500 as a team again. Somebody and a couple guys probably going to drop off for the Braves. And then you look at the rotation matchups, okay? You, you've got Spencer Strider versus Sonny Gray. You know what? I would probably favor Strider, but I'd give you a fighting shot with Sonny Gray. But once I get to number two and I go, they're going with Max Freed versus Miles Michaelis. I don't even think it's close. or It's not even close. I, I could hear, like, if you said they go with Chris Sale versus 
Miles Michaelis in game three, I would favor Sale, but I could see where in game three you go, you know, you got a fighting chance. It is the number two spot for them. And it's why Miles Michaelis, you've mentioned this before, is like, if not the most important Cardinal, the most important Cardinal of the season coming up this year, he's the one that's got the most pressure on him this year because sure. he has to live up and get back to being a number two starter because they basically are saying, hey, what we saw in 2022, what we saw from him in that All Star year, and I think it was 2018. That's the guy that we think Miles Michaelis is, and that's a number two starter that can compete with all those other guys in the playoffs. So 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Lisa's checking in on the text line, and she's upset because I'm, I'm being optimistic about the offense, and a, a lot of people are down on the offense compared to where I'm at. And, and I understand that. If you are somebody that watched what the games looked like last year and you came away thinking to yourself, man, this is not this is not the offense like 2013 or 2015. Like they're not clutch. They're not coming through with runners in scoring position. They're not, uh, they're not driving runs in often enough. I get it. And if you look, especially at like the bases loaded situations, they were terrible, like historically bad with the bases loaded, man. If you just want to look at batting average with runners in scoring position from last year, and you go through July 31st because that's when the team stops playing. Like Brendan Donovan went on the IL for the rest of the year. They they punted on the season after July 31st. They were 10th in Major League Baseball in batting average with runners in scoring position last year. The only National League teams that were ahead of them were Colorado, Coors Effect, the Dodgers, the Cubs, and the Giants were basically the same. And by the way, the Cubs were at 267, Giants 266, Cardinals 265. So the only National League teams that were tangibly better than the Cardinals with runners in scoring position, just if you go by batting average, were Colorado and the Dodgers. This is going all the way through July 31st. So it's not a significant difference there. And if you look at OPS, like you want to get a little more nerdy with it, the only teams that were better than you with runners in scoring position in the National League through July 31st of last year were the Dodgers and the Braves. This offense is really good, really good when it's healthy. But as we talked about last week, there were only seven games last year in which you had your top seven players available for you in the lineup, in the starting lineup all season long. Seven games where you had your top seven players in the lineup together. I am expecting a massive season from them offensively. I think they could be a top five offense in Major League Baseball, and I think they could have the deepest lineup in the sport. It all comes back to that number two starter. It all does. And I'd, I'm not trying to put too much on it, but I think it really is that simple. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we'll get to a game of one's got to go. You give us four different options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. But next, college coaches are fleeing the sport. They're trying to get to the NFL as quickly as humanly possible. Why is this? Is it, is it actually an issue for college? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So people are freaking out because college coaches are fleeing to the NFL. First, it was Jim Harbaugh who took the job with the L.A. Chargers. You've got the the Nick Saban decision to retire this offseason, and that's the backdrop to all of this. And then over the past few days, suddenly we've seen uh, Jeff Halfley, the previous Boston college coach, has gone to the NFL to be a coordinator. Chip Kelly 
Sounds like he is interested in becoming an offensive coordinator in the NFL as well. Liam Cohen, previously the offensive coordinator with Kentucky, expected to take a job in the NFL. And T-Bone, this has people freaking out. They're saying this is a sign that college has a serious issue and these coaches want to get out of the game because of NIL, because of the transfer rules. It's the wild, wild west going on right now in the college level. Coaches are going to continue fleeing to the NFL. I think it's nonsense. Jim Harbaugh was in the NFL seven years ago. He went to a Super Bowl. And there have been rumors, I think, every single season that he's been at Michigan that he's going to go back to the NFL. And over the last few seasons, there weren't just rumors. There were reports that he wanted to go back to the NFL. That doesn't mean that there's an institutional problem with college football. It means Jim Harbaugh wanted to go back to the NFL again, where he had a lot of success but didn't get to the ultimate goal. Chip Kelly, he already left college football once, prior to NIL or transfer rules changing when he was the head coach of the Oregon Ducks and took the job with the Eagles. So maybe the NFL just interests him. And oh, by the way, he's entering this season at UCLA on the hot seat, even if he stays in the college level. Okay, so Jeff Halfley, the Boston college coach, he's probably the one that has been most like used as the figurehead for all of this, right? My dude's won six, six, three, and seven games over the last four seasons at BC. Maybe he's just like, hey, I, I can't win here. Like, this is not going to work for me. That one I would believe. <laughs> and it seems like his personality would lend itself to, I don't want to deal with all of this stuff off the field. Let me just go co- coach some defense somewhere. I'll, I'll go to the NFL instead. Liam Cohen has spent more years over the last six in the NFL with the Rams than he has in college where he spent two seasons with Kentucky. So that's more of an NFL background for that guy. So, Timo and I, I think all of the issues that people are talking about when it comes to, hey, finding out what you can do for this to be a more sustainable sport moving forward, yeah, th- those are real. College football has some stuff that it's got to get its hands around right now. But these coaches that are leaving for the league, they're not hard to explain. And if you look at it for two seconds, you can see, okay, Jeff Halfley, Not a lot of success up at Boston College. Chip Kelly on the hot seat. So sure, if you can find a good, well-paying job in the NFL, you should probably leave for that. Liam Cohen, as an NFL mind, as much as he is a college mind, his college offenses are quote-unquote pro style. So I, I just think that we're spending way too much time talking about these coaches that are leaving in droves for the NFL when it's really just a few isolated instances. Yeah, the, the one that's interesting to me is the Chip Kelly one. Because, like, the Boston College one, I, I think you hit that one right on the head, where it's like, man, I'm, I'm, in, I'm at Boston College. Am I really going to win here? Probably don't have a great NIL foundation. So I could totally get where he says, you know what, deuces, I'm going to the NFL. The Kelly one's interesting to me because – Though he though he will enter the season on the hot seat, man, being fired from a college job doesn't sound all that bad. Because I, I just looked this up from his recent contract exten- extension. If he gets fired before December of this year, he gets an eight and a half million dollar eight and a half million dollar buyout. Or excuse me, four point two seven will be his buyout this year if he's fired. Now, where I think you might be right here is by December of twenty twenty five, it becomes a big old goose egg of zero. But that's why I find it interesting that I, I think he's using this more as leverage than anything of, oh, Ali, well, don't, don't you test me. I'll go. And UCLA is going, oh, okay, go ahead. But I, he's I the only he one I find. I, he's the one I find interesting. I I find it interesting. He wants to go because, like, he had, what, one great year at Philadelphia? 
I'll tell you that, like, I don't think of him as an NFL offensive mind. I think of him as a college-minded coach. I don't either, but we've seen this with prospects in the Cardinal system. The longer you wait, the less value you have. If he goes back to UCLA this year and has an underwhelming year offensively, guess what he's not going to be? A hot coordinator hire in the NFL. Right now, there are still teams that can convince themselves, hey, Chip Kelly, that'd be interesting. Like, let, let's try that. It worked for a brief period of time. Now, don't put him in charge of personnel. That was a disaster in yeah. Philadelphia. But if you just have him running an offense for you in the NFL, could it work? I, I don't know. I'd be curious about it as well if I'm an NFL team. I probably wouldn't go that route, but I get it. Uh, but if he goes back this year and they're not very good at UCLA, which is very possible, probably likely, as they're heading to the Big Ten where defenses are better than what he went up against last year in the Pac-12 for the most part, I probably would want to do the same thing. So I I think that people are just, as always, overreacting to a very, very small number of coaches that have decided to make the move. I do think that Nick Saban was probably driven in some way out of the sport because of the stuff that's taking place off of the field. But I think it's less about, like, I don't want to be a college coach anymore and more about Hey, I'm getting older and the job is more demanding than it ever has been before. And I don't know that I have the energy to be able to do that again. And so, yeah, are coaches going to retire earlier than they did previously? Probably. I could see some of that. Are coaches going to go to the NFL more often than they did 10, 15, 20 years ago? Yeah, but I think a lot of that is also because the two levels are are more closely resembling one another than they did 20 years ago. Like when you had Steve Spurrier going to the Washington football team at the time, dude, college football was like a different sport than what the NFL was running on an offensive side of things. Now they're running the same things. You're seeing teams in the NFL level stealing plays from the college level like the week after they see it in college football. So I, I do find it to be an interesting discussion, and there are fair and valid points other side from what I'm saying here, but... I don't think this is a situation where you have to worry like, oh, no, next year there's going to be like 20 coaches that leave the college level, college ranks for the NFL. No, we're not seeing any of the best coaches really do this other than Jim Harbaugh, who was already an NFL coach. Yeah. I think for this to become, to your point, like I think it is something to monitor. I, it would take a massive name to like leave. Like it would take, and I'm like, I was going to say like Dabo, but like he could be on the hot seat. Um, I'm trying to think like who the coach would be that would say, you know what? I'm done with this. Like if the Oregon head coach said, I'm done with this. I'm tired of the recruiting. Yeah, I'm tired of the recruiting. I'm tired of all this. I'm going to the NFL to be an offensive coordinator. Like if that happened, whoa, that would pique my interest. Or if like Sark did it. Or if Kirby Smart was like, you know what? Screw Georgia. I'm I'm going to the NFL. (laughs) I want to go. I want to go be an NFL coordinator with the Atlanta Falcons like that. Okay. Yeah. There's some alarm bells that would start to rise a little bit there, but I. It's just not happening, man. It's not. Yeah, no. And, and I, I think you're probably right about Chip Kelly, where he probably is saying, you know what, I got to try and maximize my value as an offensive coordinator in the NFL. And heck, he may want to go more to the NFL because we, we've talked about this before with assistant general managers in baseball or with GMs who aren't making the baseball decisions. They Like, I remember when the Mets had their president of baseball operations come up the first time around. And it was like, man, they're like reaching out to everybody. Nobody wants the job. Why? You don't have to deal with the media. You're not the head guy in charge. So if you're Chip Kelly, you're gonna get, you're gonna take a pay cut, but you don't have to deal with dealing with the media, going out and recruiting players, dealing with the NIL, and trying to not just go out and recruit, but also keep guys on your roster and prevent sure. them from going elsewhere. I could see where you convince yourself, man, this isn't worth 
$8 million. I, I'm going to take a pay cut, go to the NFL, and just call plays for the next couple of years. So many of the coaches we referenced are going to the NFL to be coordinators. The one guy that is going to the NFL to be a head coach is Jim Harbaugh. T-Bone, when you look at the coaches that were hired this offseason and you think to yourself, all right, which one of these guys is most likely to make the postseason in year one as a head coach in the NFL? Who comes to mind for you? Who Who is the one that you would place your bet on as the most likely first-year head coach to make it to the playoffs? So for me, I think it's Jim Harbaugh is number one on this list because he's got the quarterback. He's got a really good offense around him. And I felt like that that was the biggest holdback for the L.A. Chargers. They just didn't have a competent head coach. Now you bring in Jim Harbaugh, who has has had success at the NFL level. So I would say he is definitely number one for me. And I don't really know who I would pick as, like, second. Maybe Raheem Morris because yeah, he brings I think it's stability. Two. It's either Mike McDonald with the Seahawks or Raheem Morris with the Falcons. I think it's yeah. one of those two would be the only other option. Because, like, the Panthers are going to be terrible. Commanders are probably going to be bad. The Titans, Raiders, and Patriots are all in, like, the midst of either a retool slash rebuild, and none of them have a quarterback that you're super excited about. I think it's got to be the Seahawks or the Falcons. The one team that had, like, the stud quarterback that was available this offseason was the Chargers. They got Jim Harbaugh, who's a good coach. I think he is the runaway favorite in this conversation of which team is most likely to make the playoffs. But if I was going to go with number two, for me, it would be Mike McDonald, actually, with the Seattle Seahawks. They've got a quarterback in place that I think is pretty good. Not great, but pretty good. And I trust Mike McDonald after watching his defense and the scheme that they were running this year in Baltimore. The former Ravens defensive coordinator, McDonald, I I think it's the one that I would place my bet on this year uh, to be the other coach to to make the postseason. I would also say the NFC is just more open than than the AFC if you're looking at some of those AFC teams as as a possibility. And that's why I would go Atlanta, too, for me, because one weaker division— NFC is open, and I think outside of the quarterback position, I feel like the roster is pretty much in place. Now, that is the most important position in all of football and very hard to uh, replace, but I could see where, like, if they bring in a stopgap guy like a Russell Wilson or, you know, maybe they trade for a Justin Fields, I could see where he gets them to the playoffs in year one. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario rewind, but coming up next, it's time for One's Gotta Go, 314-399-9646. You can also get yours in on the YouTube chat at youtube.com slash 101 ESPNSTL. Give us four options. We'll tell you which one's gotta go here on BK and Ferrario. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Jordan Deacon, I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go here on BK and Ferrario. You can get them in on the text line. You can also check out the YouTube chat, which is buzzing right now. YouTube.com slash 101 ESPN STL. If you guys want to throw in a one's got to go over there, we'll get to a couple of those as well. All right, let's start with this T-Bone. One's got to go date night edition. I'm sure you've at least had one of these. Ah. Valentine's Day, anniversary, birthday, or New Year's Eve. Which one's got to go? This is easy. Date night edition. This is easy. It's Valentine's Day. It's a made-up holiday, so it's out. 
It is out. New Year's Eve, celebrate. Birthday, go crazy. Uh, I already forgot what the third one was because I was so distracted by going. No, Valentine's Day. Anniversary. Oh, well, you, you got to celebrate that yeah. one if you want to have another anniversary. So I would definitely say Valentine's Day. I would say Valentine's Day as well just because it's so busy. Like your birthday, could everybody's got a different birthday. So it's not like a specifically yeah. celebrated holiday, right? Anniversary, again, everybody's got different ones. So it's not a date that everybody is trying to get a reservation for. New Year's Eve dinner, like a lot of people are just going out. Say, that's that like night. a party or something. Yeah. For Valentine's Day, man, you got to be getting that quick. Like if you have not already gotten a reservation for Valentine's Day and you're trying that special someplace for your, your special somebody, whoo, you are behind my friend. Like good luck to you. I we don't do Valentine's Day for dinner. It's just not worth it. Like I would rather go out a couple of days later. You're still celebrating the same thing. Go out yeah. that weekend or something. Valentine's Day would absolutely be the one that's got to go. Jordan? Um, I would agree. Uh, New Year's is a really big party to me. And then, like you said, with the anniversaries and the birthdays, those are super special for that person that you're celebrating or the couple. So, yeah, Valentine's Day for sure. All right. One's got to go. I'm interested to see what Jordan has to say on this one. Super Bowl food or drink? Chips and salsa? Chicken wings, beer, or pizza? Chips and salsa, chicken wings, beer, or pizza? One's got to go. One has to go, or I can pick one. You got to get rid of one. I'll get rid of the beer. Okay. The only thing I would it's actually a bad choice, yeah, okay. choose is pizza from there. But <laughs> You wouldn't eat chips and salsa? I eat the also, chips. That's included in the dip thing that eat, you don't oh, do? I eat the oh. chips, no dip. Man, that is tough. I'm weird. I know. It's okay. Uh, I would actually get rid of the the chips and salsa here like i i don't know why but like oh dude i, I could take down a bag of chips see, and salsa like i don't get me wrong i like chips and salsa but i'd much rather have pizza wings and beer at the super bowl than like chips and a dip so i, I would get rid of chips and salsa here all right i i'm getting rid of for the super bowl specifically pizza I would rather keep the chi- uh, chips and salsa the chicken wing and the beers because any of those you could grab at any time the entire night you could have those ready to go available for you they're all good now pizza don't get me wrong you can keep it out but it's less of a shareable mm-hmm. I, I would say the other things are easy you can put one or two on at a time you can continue snacking pizza's more of a meal you know so i i would go with the the pizza is the one that's got to go for the super bowl one's got to go blues prospect edition Dvorsky, bolduk snuggerud or zarenko somebody that we don't bring up a whole lot the goalie prospect zarenko oh this is interesting so i would not get rid of snuggerud or Dvorsky. And then it comes down to Bolduc or Zarenko. I think this is easy. I would probably say Bolduc. Oh, interesting. Oh, you're not. You're going to say who? Zarenko? Correct. I, the reason I would not say Zarenko is it takes a while for those guys to develop. He's down in the AHL. I, he's. I'm not even sure he's the number one in the AHL. Um, I. I think when Ben, you get closer to the end of the Bennington contract, I could see where either a you move it because you got Joel Holfer. Or B, you move Joel Hofer because he holds some value as a younger player making less money. And you then just call up Zarenko if you believe he's as good as Hofer at minimum. So I can see where you get there. I don't know what the hell Bolduc troll is on this team. because Hopefully he, score a bunch of goals. Yeah. Hopefully. He, but like, Barubi, his whole tenure here was basically, yeah, he didn't do enough in camp. Yeah, he didn't do enough in camp. And he's really struggled in the AHL, and he's a score-first guy. So I, I just don't know if he's a guy that's going to be here long-term. So I would say Bolduc. It's fair. I would say Zarenko just because I think he's so buried on the depth chart. 
Like you have right now, two guys that you really trust. Mm-hmm. Bennington, I think, is going to be here for the long haul. I, I think Joel Hofer is a guy that the Blues really believe in as the backup goalie. Like he is for them what Ivan Herrera is for the Cardinals. And they're in a similar spot where they just really like their catcher tandem and the Blues really like their goalie tandem. So I think the most replaceable one here is Zarenko because you already have guys that are at his spot. I, I think Bull Duke has a real chance to be a part of the team next year. I don't know if he's going to be good. I don't know if you're going to like what he does when he's part of the team, but you might as well find out. So I, I would get get rid of Zarenko for sure. I'm with you, BK. I was between those two that you both talked about, and I think just because, like you mentioned, the depth that he is the most one to be the odd man out there. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service. Text line in the YouTube chat is youtube.com slash 101 ESPN STL. One's got to go 101 ESPN edition. Oh, boy. Tim McKernan learns how to manage the clock. That'll never happen. Randy Carricker follows Brandon Kylie again. It's actually less likely. Alex Ferrario decides to take anger management. (gasps) Or the text line behaves itself. I like a little fire from the text line. Uh, Well, you get it on a daily basis. Yeah, that that stays. Uh, Ferrario taking anger management. I like a little fire out of Ferrario. I like some of those rants from Ferrario every now and then. The grocery stuff's a bit odd. Uh, I don't really care if Randy follows BK back, so I'll go with McKernan learns how to manage time. Well, that ain't happening. <laughs> I, I don't. I mean, none of these felt realistic, but I'll go with uh, good old Tim McKernan learns how to manage time, so I can show up at eleven o'clock and be ready to go. Uh, if I'm getting rid of one of these, it's Randy follows me because I I really don't care. It's it's a fun bit. I enjoy it. It's <laughs> it's good to perpetuate, but I do not care at all if he follows me. Um, it just does. It doesn't hurt your feelings? Does, no, no. doesn't do a whole lot for me. If Randy doesn't want to see my tweets on his timeline, that's fine. We've Fair. all got different ideas. Am I allowed to follow that notion? Or? Yeah, please unfollow. <laughs> In fact, all of you uh, unfollow. I I'll get I, off social I media. I do and I just don't have to follow. worry about it anymore. That sounds that's great, man. Great. I thought I had to do the courtesy follow. No. You know? Oh, okay. Can I, un- can I unfollow you too? If you can find me. <laughs> Tanner is the single hardest person to follow yeah, good on, luck. or find on social media. It's I can't tag him on anything. Like we'll have a we'll have a, something going on on the show. I'll try to tag him and and Alex. Alex super easy to find. You just put in Ferrario, mm-hmm. pops up ready to go. Tanner is like incognito. It's the way he likes at it. All times. You type out my. I kid you not. My Twitter handle is at T Bone One Hundred and One ESPN. You type out my name and you search it. It will not pop up. <laughs> I don't know what I did to good old X, but X does not like me. Yeah. It does not want me to get followers. Tanner might as well not exist on yeah, I'm okay uh, on though. Twitter at this point. All right, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. Coming up next, we're going to hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Gloria Loom, your home sold guaranteed realty. Selling your home begins at GloriaHasTheBuyers.com. So the Cardinals actually accomplished the goals that they set out to do. Now, I'm not telling you that it was the best offseason in the world, but when you look back at what they wanted to do this offseason, they wanted to add two leverage relievers. They had Andrew Kittridge, who was on with the morning show earlier today. If you missed any of their conversation, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. That was the first move that they decided to make, and then they decided to make a move last night, uh, Keenan Middleton. I'm gonna. I 
I want to say Kenyon so bad when I look at the way that his name is spelled. It's K-E-Y-N-A-N. So Keenan, Keenan Middleton is the newest addition for the St. Louis Cardinals. This is according to many reports out there. They haven't had the physical in place yet, but he's going to be a Cardinal. That's two leverage relievers that they were looking to get. They got the three starters that they were looking to acquire. Now, you might not love the names that they decided to get, but T-Bone, when we look back at the offseason now and we have a fuller picture of what they were able to accomplish, what grade would you give it? I, I would give them a B-. minus. I, I don't think the offense is by any means very impressive when you look at look at it because, yeah, they got number one in Sonny Gray, but like he always like the more we think about it, you look at it, oh, hey, they got a number one. Yeah, but he was the guy we've been highlighting since, like, July of last year where it was, hey, he's from Nashville. You know what? He probably's not going to get over $100 million. Hey, that's in the Cardinals' marketplace. Hey, that's what the Cardinals like to spend on pitching. So he made all the sense in the world for him. Um, the, the rest of the rotation signings were just the bare minimum to improve, in my opinion. I think the bullpen is significantly better, and I'm actually excited about the bullpen and the way they kind of went about constructing it. But the rotation was a, a bigger issue in a bigger spot to fill for me getting two guys ahead of miles michaelis so though i like the bullpen it can't prop up the grade enough i would say a b minus i would say a c plus i was with you when i first thought about this in my head and then i thought about it a little bit more and if the texter was right who texted in earlier today saying you guys always seem to come back to the cardinals inability to get that front end starting pitcher and and they're right we do continue to refer back to that and if i'm going to continue to do that I can't then also say, yeah, they had a pretty good office. No, they failed. They failed to get one of the two most important pieces of the offseason. It's like going into, we mentioned it earlier today, a, a movie, and you've got the entire production set up. You've got the A-list celebrity that you have as the, um, the, the lead of the show. You've got your director that you were looking for. All of the supporting cast is in place except for one thing the most important supporting actor. Yeah. You forgot to get somebody for it. And so you just like pull somebody from the audience to play in that role. That's that's where the Cardinals are at right now. They, they have almost everything ready to go. They just fell one spot short. And if I'm going to criticize them for that, and if I'm going to say that is something that could prevent them from competing on a meaningful level in the National League, I can't then also turn and say, yeah, B minus. I, I think that would be a little too high. So I would go with a C plus for the offseason, they did technically check all of the boxes that they said they wanted to. They wanted to get two leverage relievers. They wanted to get three starters, and they accomplished both of those stated goals. I just would quibble with the quality of one of those three starters that they were able to get. Coming up next week, we will be back with you. It's me and T-Bone. Alex is out one more week. The fast lane has you guys taken care of from two to six. You guys enjoy the weekend. Get yourself situated. Clean the garage. Clean the house. There's not a whole lot going on in sports this weekend. Enjoy the all-star festivities. Coming up at 2.30, the fast lane will be joined by Blues President of Hockey Operations, Doug Armstrong. Again, Army joining the fast lane at 2.30 for T-Bone. T-Bone and Jordan Deacon. I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll talk to you guys on Monday at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.